Barukata Adonai, Eloheinu, Melech HaOlam, Asher Kitshanu BeMitzvotah BeTivanu, LaAsok BeDivrei Torah, VeHaArevna Adonai, Eloheinu Et Divrei Torateka BeFinu Ufi Amka Beit Yisrael, VeNiyeh Anachnu VeTzeEtzeEinu VeTzeEtzee Amka Beit Yisrael, Kulanu Yodea Shemeka VeLomde Torateka Lishma, Baruch Ata Adonai. Hamlamet Torah Leamo Yisrael. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Menakaolam, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamim, Venatan Lanu et Torato. Baruch Ata Adonai, Noten Ha Torah. Amen. And may it be your will, Hashem, my God, that a mishap not come about through me. And may I not stumble in a matter of Torah and cause my colleagues to rejoice over me. And may I not say regarding something which is to me that it is to whore, and not regard something which is to whore that it is to me. And may my colleagues not stumble in a matter of Torah and I rejoice over them, for Hashem grants wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Avail my eyes that I may perceive wonders from your Torah. Amen. Amen. Mashiach, now. I'd like to welcome you to the Rumination Study for Parshav Echanan. Myself and Shlomo have a few things to recap and carry us over from last week into this week. And also, just want to give everybody a wonderful heads up that this Shabbat is huge. It is Shabbat Nachamu, the Shabbat of Comfort, beginning the seven weeks of consolation after the three weeks of mourning. So remember the whole three seven, the upper sephirot, the chokman bina dot, the wisdom, understanding, and knowledge connected with the lower sephirot, the seven that we count during the counting of the Omer. So you can kind of take these next seven weeks and do like an Omer count, like a more in-depth thing, and that'll actually take us into the 40 days of Teshuvah. But on top of that, we also have, or I should say and, not but, because we need to carry this with it. Um, <laughs> it's also Tuba Av, oh my word, the 15th of Av. If you don't know about Tuba Av, get on SoundCloud, Get on YouTube and look up Rabbi Trugman, among many other people. I just say Rabbi Trugman because that's my rabbi, but um, there's people who talk about it. Tuba Av is like, if you want to talk about resurrection, that's Tuba Av. So there's a lot of powerful things to find out about uh, history there and something, things that we will be anticipating in the future as well. So just want to say that everyone may you have a wonderful Shabbat Nakamu, a wonderful Shabbat, and a wonderful Tuba Av, because this is amazing. So, without further ado, Shlomo, I'm handing it over. Uh, you are on mute. I don't know how that happened. Excuse me, folks. <laughs> um, yeah, I just need to finish up uh, last week's Rumination 41. Um, again, it bears repeating. Why are we commanded to love God? 
And why do the theologians discount this prime command? Um, and I'll just go ahead and read straight through it. Um, to be fair, theologians do not think that they discount the command to love God, but if they understood the command as those who make the Shema a part of their life experience, their appreciation of this commandment would be far better. If we are no longer under the law, quote unquote, as some misquote Galatians, are we still under this law? If I am under grace, quote unquote, am I free to cast aside the commandment to love God with all my heart, soul, and might? Then why did Yeshua declare this to be the greatest commandment in Matthew twenty-two thirty-eight? Clearly, the theologians do not understand what it means to be commanded to love Hashem, your God. If they think it survives their scribe's knife, where they cut whole portions of scripture in favor of their tradition. And there's an irony within that statement. I mean, it's, it's a big one, too. <laughs> No, to love Hashem, your God, is not merely an esoteric thing. We are not commanded to have nice feelings for God. We're not commanded to merely speak about our deep love for him. We are commanded to love him with all our heart, all our soul, and our might. Those are not accidental words. They are intentional. They pertain to all of our human existence, our all. Our life is in the commandments. There are life in the length of our days. Those who think that they can love God and still ignore his will for them can think again. Love and obedience always go together. Love and fear always go together. There is far more to this command, love Hashem your God, than meets the eye of the theologian who's more interested in his hermeneutic traditions than scripture. Far more. It is why Yeshua called this command the greatest, because it contains all the rest. Beloved, the Shema is a call of complete allegiance to the king. The Shema is a call to love the king. That means to completely obey him. You cannot love the king and disregard his loving instructions found within the Torah. Now by this, we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says... I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this, we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. 100%. John deals with those who would attempt to separate love from obedience. Wow. 
because we find in in uh, a later verse in that very same chapter, he that does righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. Right. Yeah, I don't know where the disconnect comes in, but uh, from a theological standpoint of whatever Yeshua did, like, that's where it stops. Like, he did it. I don't have to do it. Which, if you think about Discipleship 101, we sh we're supposed to strive to be like our rabbi. But if you never see Yeshua as your rabbi, I guess that's a, that could be a thing. Also, if you're supposed to be made in the likeness of the Son of God, which is in Romans chapter 8, uh, we're predestined to be conformed to the image of the son. So like, you know, the son of God is the word of God, you know, so we should be looking like the word of God. The word of God was made flesh and the Torah teaches one how to become a Torah scroll. So, you know, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting how when you really start looking at the, the text as opposed to what people say, uh, that a lot of, uh, what do they call those things? Contradictions uh, seem to arise, you know? So anyway, that's just something I saw as you were saying that. Well, yeah, seemingly apparent contradictions. They're only there if you don't have the Jewish mindset. In your approach to your study of scripture. Because if you're in a theological box, then yes, it is going to seem contradictory and you won't understand it. But then again, that's the case in point because Christian theology is stuck at the Peshat level. And for good reason. You can't have the drosh and the so in the hands of those who would corrupt it. Wow. Do you know that was actually brought up in this week's commentary? Um, Shavile Pincus, I'm going to paraphrase it because it's a really long section, but he was talking about how um, there's a halakha uh, about not saying Kriyat Shema, uh, that that is the fulfillment of the 613 mitzvot. You're not supposed to talk about the halakha of saying that, in front of a Gentile because the Gentile won't know the background and all the commentary that comes with, why do we say the Kriyat Shema, like the declaration of the Shema? And what does it mean that because we've recited the Shema, we will be fulfilling all of the mitzvot? Because when you understand that from a Jewish mindset and what, the um, what's connected to saying the Shema when we retire and when we arise, there's mitzvot in between those declarations that we do. And because we began and end with the Shema, we create this bookend of our day because, you know, the day starts at night, which is another thing that a Gentile may or may not know, <laughs> you know, not to be uh, slightful or anything, but 
again, we're talking Jewish mindset versus theological boxes, you know, so none of this was really taught. So we have this whole understanding of from Shema to Shema being completely devoted to Hashem. And it starts in our consciousness, you know, and then we have a plethora <laughs> of mitzvot <laughs> that we can do. And so it's just like, yeah, so if you tell a Jew, Kriyat Shema is the totality of the mitzvot, we would get it. But if you tell a Gentile that, it's like, great. All I got to do is say to Shema and I'm good. And it's just like, well, I mean, you actually have to do things. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, like, um, not to laugh or joke about it, but I mean, it's, I mean, seriously, that, that literally came up in commentary this week. <laughs> I've literally experienced that, um, as I'm sure you have as well, when you try to share Torah, like my brother, you know, um, him, I just could not get a word in. But an interesting thing is I sat down actually with my brother the last time I was in California and I started sharing with her. And she asked me the question, you know, um, you know, why do Christians keep saying that, you know, Jesus is God? Mm. And I had to tell her there's no place in the Gospels that he ever says that he was. Mm. And, she, and the Torah says, you know, Hashem has no form. And she was, you know, she was listening to me. She intently listened, you know. And my mother's one that does not like the church. She was, she was raised in a Lutheran Sunday school type atmosphere, you know, in Germany before she came over here to the States back in the 50s. Wow. So yeah. post-World War II Germany, huh? Yes. Um, that had to be interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff in my family history. Um, but the thing is, I could relate Torah concepts, principles to her. Well, with my brother, I just couldn't get a word in. He was just too busy spouting dogma, spouting theology, you know, mm. and that just showed me where he's at. And I said, okay. It's just, yeah. it's like you're being conditioned, you know, psychologically to spout out all this stuff, you know, the religion of the empire, you know, which is right. basically what it is, you know. A Roman Caesar in the third century decrees that this is the new religion of the empire, but yet he doesn't forsake any of the pagan elements associated with Roman uh, pantheonism. Right. And it's really the laws of man. Exactly. <laughs> but yet he's like, don't follow the laws of man, but follow the laws of this man. <laughs> You know, and it's just like, where, where in the Torah do we see the law of man? <laughs> because the fact that we recite what's known as the Hallel or celebrate Hanukkah or like candles of Shabbat. Who gave us those commandments? Because they aren't in the Torah. But then you have to study Parsha Yitro. You have to study Parsha Shof team. And you find out Hashem has deputized man or men, shall we say, 
to make what's called rulings the same way that they do in the in america with the constitution you know the constitution has allowed for laws to be enacted <laughs> so you know things like that fall <laughs> through the that is so interesting because everyone follows the law of the land that man passes but you cannot follow the loving instructions of Hashem where there are there are only 613 of them and yet not all of those are applicable to you as a man to a woman to a farmer to a civil servant to a judge um, to an officer who sits at the gate of the city and so forth this yeah. is what prompts John to say in first John 5 3. And we know that his commandments are not burdensome. Amen. Quite the contrary. <laughs> you know, it's it, it just shows a fundamental misunderstanding or lack thereof of, of scripture. Yeah. And again, you know? to that point about what people are speaking versus what the text actually says. There's a complete disconnect in that because again we were saying spouting dogma spouting theology like okay so if you go and just speak all that stuff out well let's go back to the text real quick line it out for me that usually doesn't happen we're in the jewish mind that is our goal we always source our things out so if you got something to say I have a source to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, interesting about love is that I, since I have a voted zero out, I went to 20B. And, okay. You know, the rabbis, mean? yeah. The rabbis taught in the Baresa, the verse states, and you shall beware of any evil thing. Mm. There, there's a lot there. How about beware of anything that's contrary to the Torah? It's probably a good time to bring up the definition of evil. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so now I'm thinking Rabbi Foreman over at Aleph Beta. That, that's the thing. Hashem has to find what is good and what is bad. Hmm. And again, this goes back to the garden. Adam and Hava were trying to determine that for themselves because of the serpent, the Nakash. Get it into their mind, Eve's mind, where he deliberately leaves out the connection of the four-letter name with Elohim in his statement. You know, trying to get Eve to be like, well, wait a minute. I can eat the fruit. I can give it to Adam and say, hey, be all you can be. Well, you're going to be all you can be, all right? <laughs> then why, why are you hiding? Why do you grab fig leaves and cover yourself, you know? <laughs> Try to hide from Hashem when he says, Ayeka. Yep. See, there's the connection between 
Tishbaav and the garden. Kind of a post thought here. Wow. It, it I mean, hey, a- we've been in there for three weeks, man. <laughs> like, this is a huge <laughs> chunk of our year. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you know that's Hashem. He's asking Ayeka, where where are you? Ayeka Adam, where are you? You know, the misquote or our connection, it, it's uh, Debbie Coot is the word I would use. Yeah. You know, that we cling to him, that we hear his voice, that we obey his voice. Interesting, the Shema turns out to be an acronym for Sakharit, Minka, and Arvid. Amen. Um. You know, the, the Elenu prayer we say at the end of each uh, prayer time. Mm-hmm. You know, and you are to know this day that Hashem, your God, is the only one. Amen. And that there's none else. Ain Lovato. Everything else is idolatry. So... I'm kind of expanding on, and you shall beware of any evil thing in this parasa. Because um, all you do is pick up uh, Path of the Just by the Ram called his magnum opus and go get this chapter 26, which happens to be the Gematria for the name. Yep. <laughs> I mean, you know I think he did that on purpose. <laughs> that's no accident, man. That is no yeah. accident in that book, man. He, he he wants to draw our attention to the fact that this is a shem, you know, that we're clinging to. Right. So that's just an update on evil, because uh, I was looking up the definition. So. At one point, I don't know where I read it, but in some dictionary, whether it was Miriam or something, Miriam Webster, uh, it said substituting truth for a lie. That was a definition that came up for evil. And as I'm looking, trying to find where I saw that at, uh, I found antonyms for evil. Guess what's first on the list? righteous <laughs> so i'm like you know what end of search that's all you need to know if you want to know what evil is it's the opposite of righteousness <laughs> <laughs> hmm. yeah so this parasa continues this teaches that a person should not think immoral thoughts by day and come thereby to tuma by night The Baresa continues, from here, Rabbi Pincus Ben Yair said, the study of Torah brings one to heedfulness. Heedfulness brings one to diligence. Diligence brings one to moral cleanliness. Cleanliness brings one to asceticism. Asceticism brings one to purity. Purity brings one to piety. Piety brings one to humility. Humility brings one to fear of sin. Fear of sin brings one to holiness. Holiness brings one to divine inspiration. Divine inspiration brings one to resurrection of the dead. 
And what are we connecting Tishbarab with? The Resurrection. Final, the final redemption. That's too Bob. Yeah. It's amazing, too, because it comes six days after uh, Tishabab. Technically, it's the seventh day, uh -huh. but you, you count six, you know, like Tishabab itself, and then you go 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, six, or yeah, 15. That's their, your sixth day there. Uh, you know, and what I think about is how six is Rosh Hashanah, because technically Rosh Hashanah represents the, the creation of man. And Rosh Hashanah is all about resurrection and how the sixth day of creation was when man was brought up from the earth. And on Tuba of this is when in the 40th year in the wilderness, all of that generation rose up out of the earth. So literally it looks like in the wilderness and the 40th year on Tuba of this whole generation of people rose up from the earth and like came in and took the land. <laughs> like it looked like these people like died and resurrected. Because remember, they they went and laid in the grave on Tishabov. Because it was like, okay, we're dying tonight. Then for six days, they're just waking up in their grave and like, okay, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> and it's like, no, no, no. Boy. Too Av. <laughs> That's interesting that it's on the 15th of Av. And I just thinking the 15 steps that lead up to the the Beit HaMikdash, the 15 Maha'alot of Tehillim. The steps of the said there for Pesach. Yeah. You want another number? How about 45? Adam. Two. Yeah. And 45 is the gematria of Geula, redemption. Ah. Well, guess what is 45 days apart? Tuba'av and Rosh Hashanah. <laughs> And the sages even say, you can begin to say, Lashana Tova, may you be inscribed for life, starting from Tuba'av. You know what's also interesting that this Rosh Hashanah begins the Shemitah year. Oh, wow. And according to Halakha, you must begin your preparations right now <clears throat> on Tuba'av. Nice. So, like, this is the sixth year of the seven-year cycle, and we're talking about all these sixes. And the source <laughs> for that is Meet, which is an email I get every every day. Um, nice. Obadiah Yosef, who was the previous chief rabbinate, Sephardic rabbi of Israel, up until about uh, 2012. Legit. Very good website for Halakha too. Very good. I, I read I read a lot of that stuff. That's how much that's how I know a lot of the Halakhic uh, Halakha that I know. But because this being a Shemitah year, your preparations need to begin, especially if you're going to plant a tree, it must be done now. 
Don't wait yeah, till the last. Uh, two bobs to cut off. Yeah, yeah. Because remember, these are mitzvotes that are applicable only in Eretz Yisrael, not the yep. diaspora. Yeah, all your land mitzvahs belong to Eretz Yisrael. But the other thing is, when the Torah was given, you don't see the word shofar, you see the word yovel. That I goes, love that insight, by the way, when you brought that up. That's so cool. Yeah, and also when Yehoshua circled the walk and the, and the Kohen walked around Jericho, and on the seventh day, they blew the the Yovel, the, the Shofar, Beteka Shofar. <laughs> Man. You know, sound the cry of freedom. There's your brave heart. <laughs> freedom! <laughs> <laughs> I know. Now I we know where they got that from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where everything returns to its original owner, but ultimately, all things return to Hashem because He's the owner. Psalm twenty-four. Amen. You know that was probably one of the most profound things to me on Tisha B'av, because when you learn that all of our tragedies were Mita connected Mita, so one of the things we did not do uh, that led up to one of the many complicating factors for the destruction of the temple was we did not release our slaves because, you know, they have to go free at the end of six years and we have to give them gifts and have them reacclimate into society. Cause you know, they've been six years <laughs> outside of, you know, living for themselves, like making a living and stuff. Uh, and then if you don't let them go on the sixth year, then they have to go. They're forced to go during the Yovel, which makes that insight even more powerful because no matter what has you as a slave, it has to bow and bend to the Yovel. Like nothing gets to go, oh, it's the Yovel. I guess I'll keep you another year. It's like, no, you have to stop. But we didn't. So that our history was that we went to the sixth year and was like, no, nope, keeping our slave. And then we went the uh, Jubilee year and it was like, no, we're not going to let them go. And because of that, it said we were enslaved by a foreign nation. And I was just like, wow. But to bring in a little balance to this dynamic, because, you know, uh, sometimes when you're giving insights, you got to take into account the other part of the story is that uh, on a Haftarah podcast during the Bain HaMetrim, the three weeks, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, myself and a gentleman named Hasis, we were talking about this uh, because there was an um, insight from Jeremiah that said, uh, go ahead and start doing deeds to the land. I know you're getting ready to go into the Babylonian exile, but when you get back, you're going to have these deeds that you've purchased you know, to get land. So it was kind of like, as you're going into exile, there's hope of return because we're already starting to figure out the land and stuff, right? So he said, one of the things that was happening with the slave situation is that people grew so fond 
of the people that were indentured to them. Like they had these deep relationships where it's just kind of like, I love you so much. I don't want to let you go, you know, kind of thing. Like not for the sake of being a slave, but just like, you know how you hang out with people and like you, you find connections and it's just like, wow, I want to be best friends, you know, like, so that's what the slaves actually became and the slaves didn't want to leave and the owners didn't want to let the slaves go. So it was just kind of this thing where it was kind of like feelings uh, that we had, we put before Hashem. Like we didn't take into account Hashem's word because of how we felt, you know, which obviously goes to a lot of what theology and dogmas teach today. Everything is about feeling, you know, I want to feel the spirit on this one. You know, and so if I don't feel Hashem tugging at my heart, then that means I don't have to do it. You know. So anyway, um, probably don't want to go off of just pure emotions. <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't get anything done. Um, Goodness. <laughs> but interesting you bring up the slave because one of the first things in Parashah Mishpatim is the servant who loves his master enough to have a mezuzah placed on his ear, the owl. Mm. That's that, that points to Messiah right there. Wow. We love Messiah enough that we take on his identity. And that Parsha is the only other place other than the Shema that you see the word Mizuzo. That word only shows up twice in the Torah in its entirety. Wow. And yeah, what do we do? We place a Mizuzo on our doorpost marking this identification marker. It says we belong to Hashem. And it puts us in Messiah because of his obedience. You know what the Zohar calls the mezuzah? The gate of righteousness. Open the gates of righteousness. Yeah, that literally is a mezuzah. (laughs) I was just like, are you kidding me? Like, that is so crazy. You know how you read these things in the text and you're like, Oh, that sounds so spiritual, so amazing. It's like, yeah, that's your front door. (laughs) Yeah, it's, you know, when in Christian theology, everything is super spiritualized. There's nothing physical to remind you to walk out the commandments, you know? Yeah, 100%. The biggest one, abide in me and I will abide in you. He that loves me, I will love him. And I will manifest myself to him and make myself known to him. Yeah, it's like, uh, okay, you want to break that down? <laughs> yeah, it. Um, there's a lot of spiritual arrogance, you know, in the so-called church. And it's, it's unfortunate. It, it really does 
contradict because the rest of this Gemara um, continues and piety is the greatest of them all for it is stated then you God spoke in a vision to your pious ones since God chooses to speak to those accomplished in piety is obviously they who are the greatest of his adherents the Gemara cites one who disagrees and this is at odds with the statement of Rav Yehoshua ben Levi, for Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, humility is the greatest of them all, for it is stated, the spirit of Hashem, the Lord, is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring tidings of redemption to the humble ones. The pious ones is not stated, but the humble ones. You have thus learned that humility is the greatest of them all, i.e. of all the attributes enumerated by Rab Pincus Bayer. And what was it that Yeshua read in Luke 416? Yeah, that's what I was getting ready to bring. I was like, that sounds like a lot of what Yeshua taught. <laughs> he read that half Torah portion. And remember when it's Talmudim were arguing over who gets to be the greatest? Be the greatest. <laughs> and Peter says, Master, you don't need to wash my feet. And what does the master say? If I don't wash your feet, you have no part with me. Man. He don't or be great among you shall be your servant. And he, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Nice. When you go to a banquet, don't sit at the uppermost seat. Mm-hmm. Lest the host bid you, oh, sit down there. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> so the day that exalt themselves will be humbled, and the humbled will be exalted. Did you know Or HaKaim on Parsha Bayera? When Hashem appears to Abraham, uh, Or Hakaim goes into the insight of washing feet. And he says, this is the Peshat teachings of Torah is like washing people's feet. So when Abraham was like, here, let's let some water be brought so you can wash your feet. It goes into this whole thing about the Peshat of Torah. <laughs> oh, I'll have to read that. <laughs> yeah. So it just made me think about that when you talk about Yeshua saying, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. You know, like he really wants us to get to the Peshat, you know, like start there, which is really neat how the Rashi studies are really um, taught, you know, in Torah, because it's like start from the Peshat, then you can work your way up. Yeah. That's how it works. Um, I remember reading the Midrash says on that Parsha where um, Abraham had wanted to slaughter the calf and it ran away. And it, guess where it ran to? Hang on. It's called Ma'arat Machpelah. Yep. And what did Abraham find when he when he went in there after the calf? Uh, he found the uh, Adam and Hava. 
and it was even more significant than that. Turns out that that is the doorway to Ganidan. Wow. I was like, oh boy. <laughs> and that's in the Midrash says Beirish, um, for Bereshit, Parashah, Vayera. Wow. Oh, yeah. Um, so this is in uh, Shavile Pankas for the Echanan 5781. It's Me'arat Ha So if you want to say the cave of Machpela, uh Me'arat Ha Machpela. So anyway, and we know that uh, Machpela means doubled tombs because it was like the uh, the couples are buried there together yeah um. okay so we're talking about the land so now like kind of segue into this week's rumination 42 Nice. Hey, not bad. That was our recap and finishing up from last week. Yeah. Very good. Baruch Hashem. <laughs> hey, Bezrat Hashem. Right? <laughs> kazak, kazak. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Um, okay, so why is it important for the followers of Messiah to identify not only with Avraham, but with Yitzhak and Yaakov as well. One of the obvious reasons is uh, you don't become a Palestinian <laughs> when you identify <laughs> with uh, Yitzhak and Yaakov. Well, yeah, unless you're giving it over to that false yeah. made-up narrative. Yeah. That's kind of an extreme way to start out the, the response <laughs> to this rumination, but there's a lot of people who walk around going, Abraham's my father. And it's just like, what about Yitzhak and what about Yaakov? Because if Rab you go Dessler, down to Yitzhak... Um, Rab Dessler oh. touches on all three of them. Oh, nice. Because I was going to stair-step it down because if you go down to Yitzhak, you still have Christianity, there's yeah. there, you know, because Esav has Yitzhak as his father. But if you went down to Yaakov, you, it's you you don't have any way out. It's like it's Israel, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting because you have Esau constantly pursuing Yaakov all that time. And what has the church been doing with the Jewish people for two thousand years? Christ killers, you know, and so blood libels, persecutions, pogroms, executions, expulsions. Which is so funny because they've been the ones that have been doing all the stuff. They yeah, actually none of them. them. When you confront them with this, and I also recommend the book The List from Root Source. It's not light reading. Seriously, it is not light reading. It contains, 
it, it was 10 years of research went into that book. And it contains 2,000 years of entries of historical persecutions, the blood libels, and so forth. Um, a persecution at the hands of the so-called church. You know, it's, I've, there are some, in, I mean, very anti-Semitic things in there from the church fathers that are just like crazy. These men write like they're possessed, you know? You know, they're, there's a statement by the sages where they say when foolishness comes over a man, it causes him to sin. Right. That spirit of foolishness. Mm -hmm. That's why, Shlo that's why uh, Malik Shlomo says in Mishle, you know, don't reprove a fool, but just scorn you. And also we're warned in Mishle 6, you know, there are six things that Hashem hates. Yea, seven are to'iva, detestable to him. One of them is a false witness that breathes out lies. Church fathers. Yep. Yikes. A direct so violation the of, of the church is the seven deadliest sins. Yep. Oh, no. Those are not the seven pillars you want to have. <laughs> oh, that is... I'm going to need to say lie, so you just keep going. <laughs> um, Whoa. So, all stripes of the followers of Messiah identify with Abraham. Especially those who are from Gentile stock because of the promise of Genesis 12. Shaul's commentary on Romans 4, it is easy for us all to see Abraham as our father. The difficulties enter when we identify with Yitzhak and Yaakov. Are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob our fathers? Of course, much of Judaism has said no, when Gentiles asked the question, Jacob, of course, was named Israel, and clearly Israel is not Gentile, or at least it seems to some. Wow. The various, <laughs> the various answers cover the spectrum from anti-Semitic replacement theology to, to house theology. And I know that there are some in the Hebrew roots movement who are given over to two-house theology. There's even one person I know who actually rejects the, the letter to the Hebrews. Wow. Quick tag on Israel, because you said uh, the whole thing about is Israel Gentile. Well, I mean, not you, but like, that's what we're reading. 
Uh, Yisrael is an acronym for Yerato, Ahavato, Redzono, Levav, Shalem, which is awe of him, love of him, acting according to his will with a whole heart. That is a beautiful uh, drop from Shavile Pincus, mm. citing the Chasam Sofer, Drashos, seventh of Av, in relation to the prayer, Uva le Zion Goel, and a Redeemer shall come to Zion. Yeah, there are two words in there, Yishar El, the upright of God. Get you some. But there's another word in there with a little rearrangement. Yeray. Ooh. I've never seen that before. Stop. Thunder Shar, which is Prince. Oh, goodness. Okay, so you have Sar Eli. So Prince, my God. And you say Yare. So if you take that, the letters you're left with is the Lamed and the Shein, which is Shell. So Shell Yare, which is like of fear or belonging to fear of Hashem, like being in awe of Hashem. Very nice. I've never played around with the letters to get those words before, so that's cool. Any connection with the mezuzah? Um, Shaddai Shemar oh. Dalet Yisrael Bro What is the Akida Ram called In Hebrew Oh uh, was it um, It's not lamb It's not say um, um, It's a ram it's, Well It's a sheep yes But the Torah says it's a ram And it had two horns because it was called in the thicket. So the Hebrew word for ram. Yeah. Um, I, well, I don't remember it offhand. Okay. Well, to your point on that, it is a sheep. And the reason why it's called a ram is because the Hebrew word points out it's a sheep irrespective of its age. Yeah. So this ageless sheep <laughs> or ageless lamb of God. Uh, it doesn't say <laughs> how old it was. It just simply says a ram caught in the thicket. So that th th I just wanted to give you that to where you're going because your <laughs> thoughts, that was amazing. Okay, so the word in Hebrew is Aleph Yod Lamed, which is Ayil, but Aleph Lamed Yod is Eli, which is my God. And you just said Sar El Yod, right? Sar Eli, but you can say Sar Ayil the prince ram yep there we go see aka the prince of peace sar shalom el gibor aviyad keep it going <laughs> hey isn't uh yael the one that um uh, did the tent peg thing with the milk? Isn't her name Yod Olive? 
Jael, one of those hoppers. The tent peg in the Cicero. I believe so. Um, yeah, if she offers you milk, you probably want to turn it down. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that in um, Shelf Team? Yes. Okay, it's a it's a ayin. It's not an olive. Oh yeah. What did we learn from the targum? You can substitute. <laughs> Unless you do an apash. Mm. Because we have the ore and the ore. Yeah. Because the skin versus light. I yeah. love it. Yael, a surrogate mother for Cicero, promising him that no harm will come to him, giving him milk and tucking him in. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Shof team, now that rings a bell because she put him to sleep with the milk and what if she does? She takes a tent peg and drives it right through his temple, nailing him to the ground. Like, well, you should have said carry my steak, so um, I got it. <laughs> um, Goodness. I, I just had another thought, but it just slipped me when I went back to that account of the show team. <laughs> Um, you know, it's, um, yeah. Yeah, L comes from the word meaning mountain goats. <laughs> I now remember going back to the Ayir, the ram. One horn was for the giving of the Torah, the Yovel. The other horn for Rosh Hashanah. And Yeshua says, no man knows the day or the hour, not even the sun, not even the angels, but the father only. But that, is, that has been misinterpreted because you need to go back into Sanhedrin chapter 9, at Sanhedrin 9, where the sages talk about when the shofar is blown for, or even my second Rosh Hashanah, I believe, where they talk about it. Because it's by rabbinical decree. No, not one person can make the, say, okay, there's the new moon. You can sound the shofar to commence oh, Rosh Hashanah. No, did. Man. did you just go there? You did. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's what Yeshua means when he says, no man knows. Why? Because he is quoting the sages. He knows the halakha, even though it wasn't canonized in the first century, but he knows. <laughs> it's like, who came first, the chicken or the egg? Who came first, Yeshua <laughs> or the halakha? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Insane. Oh, my goodness. What just happened? You know, and I tried sharing this one time when my wife and I were going to this shul. And little did we know it was Hebrew roots. But there's this couple that invites everyone over to their house. And we, for uh, Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah. And I was pointing this out. And, of course, the first thing you get is, well, we don't listen to the rabbis. <laughs> 
Uh, and I'm like drinking yikes. my teeth, and I said, and, you, and I had to say to him, then what? Then your interpretation of Torah will be faulty. Wow. You have to, when you when you the get someone like that who, who blatantly says that to you, you would be remiss if you did not confront them and remind them. Because what are we talking about here in a later parsha? Because we're going to be dealing with that. Because in Parashat Shoftim, in Devarim 17, we have it. That you are to listen to everything that they say. This is Moshe saying this. This is not Hashem saying it. Yeshua said it too. Yeah, he, he repeated it. And what? Oh, yeah. See, okay, we're talking about Devarim 18. And a prophet Hashem, your God, will raise up from you among your brothers, and I will put my words in him, and you will listen to him. And then we need to go back to Devarim 13, where it says, and if a prophet comes to you and says, oh, I've dreamed a dream, and such and such will happen, you're not to listen to him. For Hashem, your God, is testing you to know whether or not you love him with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. Mm. And you are to what? You are to cleave to Hashem, your God. You are to listen to his voice. See, this his is voice is the sages. You know, and this is where a lot of people run into a problem. You know, um, Devarim is Mishnah Torah. And Mishnah means repetition. So all Moshe is doing is a repetition of the previous four books. But the real focal point, though, is Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. Because it's there that you see two phrases in the Torah that are so often used. Vayomer Hashem El Moshe Vayidaber Adonai El Moshe. Those are the two most off phrases you see in the Torah. It's Hashem speaking, period. But when we come to Devarim, it is Moshe. But he's but what is he doing? He's repeating the very words that Hashem is speaking. Is it any wonder when you come to uh, Devarim 17, and I believe it's verse 26, you actually see the word Mishnah in that chapter? Wow. Wow. So you cannot sit there and tell me that we're not supposed to listen to the sages. We are supposed to. Why? Because their interpretation of Torah is dead on. And Yeshua followed it himself. He even quotes from them. That's what the Gospels essentially really are, are quotations from the Talmud, even though it wasn't canonized until like the third century by Judah the Prince. That's these, incredible. Are, that, these are traditions that have been preserved from generation to generation orally. This is why it's called the oral tradition. It was never meant to be written down. No. It's, this is the me method of safeguarding it. Yep. Because you can't have it fallen into the hands of the unlearned, as Peter says. Because they'll, rest, they'll wrestle with this. 
don't distort it. Don't pervert it. Like Shaul's writings have been so dreadfully perverted. That's what I was about to say. You see what happened in a few letters. Imagine what they would do with a Talmud doff. I shudder at the thought. You know, I, I'm like... That's like letting a Shamir loose. <laughs> you don't want that to happen. You know, it's... May we never think it. I mean, Matthew 5, 17. Don't get it twisted. The word of Hashem stands. <laughs> oh, That's the paraphrase. Yeshayahu, you're <laughs> quoting Yeshayahu. Yeah. No, I was, I was trying to be silly and paraphrase, but <laughs> do not think no. that I've come to abolish the law. In the hood, we say, don't get it twisted. Like, when people try to think about something, it's like, no, don't get that twisted. <laughs> Or like uh, sometimes I'll you know say uh, get over yourself. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> or right. at the beginning of the um, Kutayam Marine, don't think of yourself as righteous, but rather wicked. Mm. Of course, that requires explanation because some people think, well, that's a glaring contradiction, isn't it? Yeah, because Yeshua says, don't call anyone a Rasha. Yeah. So, so I guess I'm not a part of that equation. So <laughs> it like, shines no. on both the good and the wicked. It rains on both the good and the wicked. Yep. It quickly is showing, like, you definitely have to get into the text. Like, don't just get face value stuff. Those are some great examples. Of what we just what we just read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I like, know. oh, you read that Talmud that says consider yourself to be a wicked person. I'm not down with that. Oh, Jesus made me righteous. Really? Then how come mm. I see you doing wicked acts? Mm. Speaking badly about the Torah, speaking badly about the Jewish people. About anyone who even disagrees with you. Oh my goodness. That escalated quickly. I'm just bringing it to its logical <laughs> escalation because that's exactly what you see happen. And I've been there. Me too. That was our life. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're basically ostracized if you disagree with them, if you present a view other than what they're used to. And it, and it shows how they're in such a comfort zone that they don't want to don't want to be challenged. Um, if I rock your belief system, then, hey, then you need to search the scriptures. Stop, stop depending on your pastor for your understanding. Take responsibility for your own study. For your own um, illumination, your own elucidation. Because after all, it's you who are walking with the master, not your pastor. Ooh. Oh, goodness. Who, who are you clinging to? Yikes. 
I mean, if we're truly objective, we would, and honest with ourselves, we would ask these questions. Because you know Hashem's going to deal with you on these things to bring, to let you know. Mm. I mean, mm. Mm. but continuing on here, it all boils down to that age-old problem that simply will not go away. What to do about all these Gentiles? Some in Messianic Judaism are replaying the first century controversy all over again and are failing in that regard. Each time the discussion comes up, various groups throw dust into the air, some to cause clear division between Jew and Gentile, while others do it simply to confuse and obscure their real position on Gentile inheritance and responsibility. two very important points. It all goes back to identity. Who are you identifying with? You know, when we were in the church, I identified as Pentecostal, you know? Non-denominational, that was me. Yeah. Which, by the way, makes you a denomination. <laughs> it's, it's still a sect, a denomination. It's still an offshoot of Roman Catholicism because ultimately it has its root there. But unfortunately, it is not the root of the olive tree that Shaul speaks of in Romans 11. Because the master says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Without me, you can't do anything. And their contention, you know, oh, we're the new Israel. And I would have to say to that, you better be careful. You don't boast against the root because you don't support the root. The root supports you. Exactly. And if God cast off unbelieving Israel, what do you think he would do in your case? Isn't your belief proved by your doing? Yeah, your actions. Awkward moment is about to happen in three, two. So if that's the case, there's not a lot being done to back up the belief that the church teaches people to have. I mean, if you really think about it, just believe in God, but don't do anything. Just believe, just have faith, but don't do anything. Yeah, I think the awkward moment is you're following your pastor, not the master. Oh, with a little rhyme to it. Okay. Whom do you serve? Whom are you loyal to? Who is your king? Wow. Again, okay, I know crazy. The previous but, uh, rumination. 
Why are we commanded to love God? Those who never say yes to the Almighty's commands can never truly expect to know his will. You remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail? Um, <laughs> what is your name? What is your quest? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we really have to ask ourselves those questions, though, or we will get thrown off the bridge. <laughs> if you're asking that question, you might be just off the derrick. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, you know. I mean, to but some yeah. degree, we are all off the derrick in some areas in our walk. But this is why we strive. This is why in Mashiach we have the justification and the performance of mitzvah because he did. It's not forensic righteousness alone. It's also the righteousness of the of the mitzvah. Yeah, they cover us. I was gonna say too, like you you think about that. I mean, as silly as it is, it really encapsulates the understanding of your identity and your purpose. They're intertwined. Yeah. Because we are Yisrael, like that's our name, we have a purpose. We have a quest. You know? And technically, that quest was given to all mankind, which is the whole transcendence of the Gentile. This is why Shaul would say there's no Greek, no Jew, no male, no female, no slave, no free. Oh boy, that's so taken out of context. <laughs> because with right. the Shem, none of that exists. Right? Because we're all his creation. Come on. If there's no race, color, creed, nationality, there's none of that. Because it doesn't matter to him, because that's not what we were created for. We were created to serve him. And we don't get to ask what's in it for me. We serve Hashem because it, it brings, we reveal the creator in our performance of the mitzvot. Because ultimately, this is the purpose of creation, is to reveal the creator who is hidden behind the details. So my thought, because I, I wanted to mention this, and you just kept speaking. And you elucidated the point. Purim. All of this, all of creation is Purim. Because of Shem, because we're bringing out, revealing the hidden, right? But everyone's got this costume, whether you're this culture, this faith, you know, all these kinds of things. But remember what happened at the Tower of Babel the 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 tongues were confused yeah and when those tongues were confused that's how we got the religions that's how we got the uh different languages that's how we got the um the faith systems that are out there and all those that actually grew from the tower of babel which is so crazy so this is commentary to zephaniah of hashem saying i'm going to restore all of mankind Notice it says all of mankind to a pure language. 
that's the goal. That's the epitome of this rumination that you're bringing down. It is so amazing. And what is the language that is spoken in Eretz Yisrael? It's another identifying marker. Get you something. Eve Reed, which means to cross over. Because Avraham was known as Harishon Ivrit. What's one of the morning blessings we say? Pokiach Ivrim. Who opens the eyes of the blind. Yeah, one of the 15 blessings. Yeah. Oh, there's another 15. Yep. So with that being said, the whole thing about Ivrim, Ivrit, is all about opening up the eyes. Because remember the sages say that Adam had the eyes of Mashiach when he was naming everything because he could see the essence of something. So when you think about Hebrew, the Ivrit, it gives you these eyes. It gives you this insight into things. That's why if you know a Hebrew word, you can know things about that particular thing that that word is is a, a title to. Like we spoke with Israel. All the things with Sar and El and Ayil and Yare, things like that. You know, and we got that just from looking at Yisrael. Like that's how in-depth the beauty of Hebrew is. Is you can take one word and just go in zoom in and zoom in and zoom in yeah it's i mean i mean we're talking about israel because that's what we're grafted into the other thing uh, on the kabbalistic level so is that israel has a gematria of 541 which also corresponds to the gematria of the first letter of each of the 10 sephirot. Nice. Which also is reminds us of the 32 paths of wisdom. Don't you love how like the, the last letter and the first letter of Torah is Lamed and Bet, which is Lev, heart. The gematria of that is 32. So the Torah is the 32 paths of wisdom, the heart. Yeah, that would be an allusion to the Torah of perfection that existed before the creation. Mm. Before Tohu Vevohu, the shattering of the vessels. Is it interesting? Oh, go ahead. The primordial creation. Um, when the letters were viscous, they were liquid in a, in a sense. Proto molecule. No. <laughs> oh, here we go with the ring gates again. <laughs> man, man, I ain't letting that go. That's like the <laughs> description for like, what are we talking about? 600,000 letters in disarray, but yet they take on form when they need to it's just like wait what because i was going to mention that isn't it interesting that yeshua existed before creation but he was born into it at a later date 
the Torah existed before creation and was born into it, quote unquote, at a later date. <laughs> well, yeah, that's what Yochanan says, and the Devar became flesh. Yeah, in the in the Hebrew in the daily Hebrew Gospels, you actually see the word Betokam. The very same word in Exodus 25, verse 8. I mean, you just tied Yeshua to the Shekinah and all of Israel. Mm -hmm. So this is why Isaiah 53 is about the Shekinah, Israel, and the Mashiach. And the deeper sowed of Romans 11 and Ephesians 2 and 3. The other thing we have to remember is Shaul's writings. I'm quite convinced that he was aware of the first century Kabbalistic text of Bahir. Yes. Had to be. You How know, are you going to roll with Gamliel and not know about the Bahir? Yeah, you know, it's... Another reason why his, he's so misunderstood Because um, he tried talking Bahir this way, rearranged you know. to Berea. Bet Hay Yod Rish, Bahir rearranged Berea. Bet Rish Yod Hay. Bet Hay Yod Rish, Bahir. Bet Rish. Yod, hey, Ooh. Yod, hey, oh, Berea has an olive in there. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, twenty six. Yep. So yeah, but here is the same as Berea, but without the olive. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm. Anyway, you're going somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah. Beloved, it really is important to identify with all three of the patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob really are our fathers. It's like I was saying before, we can say that they are. Why? Because we've been grafted in to the covenants of promise. We become fellow co-heirs. We become citizens of Israel and of the household of faith. Whether we are Jew or Gentile by natural birth, not merely in some mystical or metaphoric way so many theologians have difficulty with identifying with Jacob because he is the father of the 12 tribes which is more difficult to spiritualize as they are prone to do you, you just can't spiritualize that Yaakov you just can't While the olive tree from Romans 9 is a metaphor, Israel and the patriarchs are not. Our master made it quite clear, the one true God, the king of the universe, is the God of 
Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, and the God of Yaakov. These people are sons and daughters of these three, period. By the work of Mashiach, we all are grafted into the patriarchs. They are our fathers. You know, that's the brachot we recite, our God and the God of our forefathers. Which, when I was brand new to the Sidur, you know, I always had a whole, like, you're not going to give me a book and tell me, pray by this book. I got my own prayers. You know, I'm filled with the Spirit of God, you know, kind of thing, right? <laughs> so, after you get over that, Bezrat <laughs> Hashem, um, you start to realize like you have parents, you know, and it's kind of making me tear up a little bit. So I apologize. But when you come from outside of Judaism, you're considered like an orphan because you leave your, your family and you come in and, and you know, Romans talks about you're adopted by the spirit. And you're brought in to be sons and daughters, you know, so like the father or the mother that you always wanted, but you never had. You have that in Judaism. You have six parents. <laughs> you have Abraham and Sarah. You have Yitzhak and Rivka. You have Yaakov and Leah and obviously uh, Rachel and Bilhah and Zilpah. So, I mean, you have this huge family, uh, family heads that, I mean, obviously no human is, is perfect and flawless, but think about the parentship you have there. And when we're saying Brockout, we're connecting back to that. Oh, that's really amazing. Um, one artist I really like is Steve McConnell, and he has a really good song off the Pablo Adim album. It's called Ruth, where he speaks of, you know, where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I will live. Your people are my people. Your God is my God. All in the present tense. Present Wow. And you're like reaffirming it. You know, what does wow. the elogious do? They, they put a past tense to it. Yep. Old yeah, Testament. It with the connotation that it's done. But no. You misunderstand the Tanakh. Because in the story of Ruth, you have Yaboom. This is why it's so important. Not just the fact that Ruth converted to Judaism, to the way of Hashem, to be even more specific, but also fleeing idolatry. Wow. I have the Ben Ishai's commentary on Ruth, and it's pretty amazing. Um, that's amazing. You know, within it is 
the marriage supper of the Lamb, you know, Messiah grafting us in, taking us in, doing Yaboom. Because why? He's a close family member. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother, as some say. Wow. You know, bringing us into the household of faith, converting our souls. Uh, Psalm 19, verse 8, for the Torah of Adonai is perfect, restoring the soul or even converting it. <laughs> I just wanted to look at the uh, closer than a brother because you know the that passage or like that saying from the Talmud get a friend yeah, yeah get a friend get wisdom yeah Haver okay that's a lot of commentary on this one particular verse. I'm just going to pick one. Here we go. Most sources, however, view this verse as expressing disapproval of amassing many friends. That's a statement. The sages, Barakot 63a, render to quarrel because it says a man with friends is befriended. Sometimes a friend is closer than a brother. So the word for like Ishraim Lehitroe, a man with friends is befriended. So this word about befriended is also a word that can mean quarrel. That's interesting. And it says, and derive the lesson that a person should not bring too many friends into his home. Accordingly, the verse means that indiscriminately inviting many people to one's home will sooner or later result in quarrels. According to Meiri, the Talmud refers to tr untrustworthy people Wow. Was not ready for that commentary. <laughs> so the understanding of the friend that sticks closer than a brother, it's just kind of like the one who is above all as far as your your people that you're unified and connected with. Which is interesting because Yeshua chose the 12 and those were the people that he, he gave himself completely to. I mean, he gave himself completely to, to all mankind, obviously. But when it comes to day in and day out, it was these 12 and then he had the inner circle like the people he took up for the transfiguration. So, I mean, he even modeled this about like, yeah, I got my 12, but I mean, I have an inner circle to my inner circle. 
And it was the same when he was going to heal the little girl. You know, there was only a few people he allowed to be in the room for that to happen. So you think about these, these precious moments, you know, in the gospel accounts, and it's just kind of like, there weren't many people around for like the really big stuff. When he raised Jairus' daughter, I think he um, took John with him. Mm-hmm. But I think he remained outside and he went in alone into the room. Because the one thing we have to remember that she was dead. They're in contact with a dead body. Just being in the Oh, same. he was guarding his purity. Oh, my word. And also, you're entering the room where a dead body is. So that room is also to me. Which is an allusion to his burial place. Oh, my God. Where, when he was unclean. And when uh, Nick Dimon and Joseph of Arnimathea were willingly made themselves unclean to bury the master because they knew they could do a Pesach Shanit. Are you serious? There's a Midrash that talks about a Cohen is not allowed to go into a graveyard. But there was something in the Midrash. I I don't know, so I don't want to get it wrong. But for some reason, he went into it. You know why? You know our conversations about the order of Melchizedek? That yeah. is one of the reasons why he could do what he did to raise Jairus' daughter. Because he's bringing Kedusha down from the heavenlies. So the place becomes purified from from impurity. Anything else before uh, and what, the and what is he else take you see, away? This go, okay, this goes back <laughs> to a previous rumination. He is called the leper messiah because he identifies with those who are afflicted with death. Going back to Parashah Tazria, Metzora. He cares for those who are afflicted with death. And why is death so bad? Because you can't approach Hashem. Even if you have the stench of death upon you, this again goes back to the garden. Why? Because Adam and Hava's sin brought death. Hashem told them, you will die in the days. And he's talking spiritually. Because your revelation of Hashem will be dimmed. Exchanging the light for the skin. They were afflicted with death. A form of Zara'at. Okay. Well, trying to collect my thoughts from uh, the violence that just happened. And so here's the interesting thing. I decided to get out master plans (laughs) and I went to page 45 
which is chapter uh, number 12, building up Eretz Israel. I have given what to you... What is wrong with you? Oh my gosh. Okay. Everything, everything the master did was in Eretz Israel. Why? Because we identify with Eretz Israel, because we are grafted into Eretz Israel. We're not grafted into Rome. I thought we were. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. It's, it's Shabbat, not Sunday. Okay. okay. <laughs> uh, I can see the BSOD going on right now. <laughs> uh, for the molecule, folks, it can rearrange stuff so quickly. <laughs> I have given to you, Abraham, and to your descendants after you, the, the whole land of Canaan as a possession forever, and I shall be your God, Genesis 17, 8. And you shall inherit the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land as a possession, Bamibar 33:53. He gave them the lands of the nations so that they should keep his statutes. Tell me again what, huh? He gave them the lands of the nations so that they should keep his statutes and guard his teachings. Selah. <laughs> to heal them 105, 44, and 45. Wait, are you answering what do we do with all these Gentiles? Is that what you're doing right yeah, now? Yeah. That, and master plan that what page? Think about the Soreg, the first century. What did the Perishim do? They enacted a Soreg as one of the 18 measures. The court of the Gentiles. Under a pain of death, you couldn't go past this sign into the inner sanctum, into the inner courtyard of the temple. That's not what you do with the Gentiles. <laughs> no. <laughs> so that's the wall of separation that was torn down that's written about in the letters of paul yeah. yep thanks for bringing that up yep okay what page in master plan are you reading young man oh. <laughs> 45 grasshopper <laughs> yeah, you just said 45 that's not a coincidence 45 adam geula <laughs> tuba av rosh hashanah 45 days so okay, now you, so now you know it's never had to be turned there, right? Uh, okay, I see how this, I see how you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, God has given you his Torah. If you do not carry out the civil laws, he will take his Torah away from you. Why? Because he gave you the Torah only so that you should carry out the civil laws. Midrash Rabbah Shemot 30 23. The mitzvah of living in Eretz Yisrael is equivalent to all the other mitzvah put together. Sifrei Akev at the end. Okay, so number one, land for the Torah. God gave the Torah to a nation, not to an individual or individuals. And that nation was to live in a specially selected land where they were to develop a Torah civilization. I like that one. 
and just a just and caring society, which would be the wonder of the world. In this land, all aspects of the national life were to be transformed and sanctified by the commandments of the Torah, the government, the judiciary, the police, and the army, the agriculture, the commerce, and the industry. Notice what's mentioned first in that list. We have already seen that only an intense spiritual commitment can ensure that social relationships will reach a stable level of justice and love. In most countries, the laws enforced were largely designed to protect the vested interests of the powerful landowners. Sound like politicians to me. In such a state, in such a state, any movement to improve the laws would have had little chance of success. It would have been seen as a threat to the interest of the rulers and forcibly suppressed. An ideal social system could only be established by a nation whose members were imbued with a determination to set up such a system and who saw it as a task bestowed on them by God, the source of all justice and love. This was to be the overriding national commitment the practical and symbolical holiness mitzvot, as we shall see, are designed to keep this commit, commitment always at the highest possible level. All facets of life are thus intertwined and work together towards one supreme goal. I could go on. But the point being, we're talking about the land. We're talking about our identity. So but the being, shows you your identity. You know, that's amazing. You know, our, our allegiance. Because the land belongs to Hashem, after all. And if we've declared unswerving loyalty to him, then we would do, be scrupulous to perform the mitzvot. Because we do find in this Parsha, and it will be a merit for you, if you are scrupulous to perform all the mitzvot, which I have commanded you, today present tense how we live i just wanted to mention about the midrash that i don't know about but i read that it was just connected to the fact of hashem going to mitzrayim to bring yisrael out it was like a cohen going into a graveyard and that was hashem because remember, he did the plague of the firstborn uh, himself. So he himself descended into an impure place to bring out his firstborn son. In other words, he went into a place of uncleanness and pulled them out, the holy sparks. He resurrected a dead child, you could say. Yeah. So the picture of Yeshua going in to raise up the little girl is the same thing Hashem did when he came down the Mitzrayim. Yeah, the people and the land are the Seudah, the treasure. Um, 
I'm reminded when we walk in Shabbat, one of the things I read is Atkinu Seudata. Yes, I shall prepare the feast of the perfect faith. Yeah. Tamim Emunah. And that is the Arizal. Um, but yeah, it's uh, this all goes to identity. You know, we got to identify not with just Abraham, but with Yitzhak and Yaakov as well. Yeah. Because quarter street, quarter three strands is not easily broken. Broken. Yep. Intertwine. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's what we need to do with mitzvot. Um, they're so intertwined. Um, I was just taking a peek at uh, Torah Wellsprings for this week um, and touching yeah. on Shabbat, Shabbat Nakamu, the Shabbat of comfort, which you brought up at the beginning. Um, An ancient Sefer written by an Italian Gadol called Sefer Minhag Tov writes, it is a good custom not to take a haircut before Erev Shavos Nakamu when Erev Shavos Nakamu arrives. One is obligated to take a haircut and he should be happy and welcome the Shavos with joy and with a good heart. He will be consoled with many condolences and Hashem will console us with the redemption of Yerushalayim. Similarly, the Maharil states that on Shabbos Nakamu, the entire nation shall be happy and trust in the condolences of the redemption. It should, as a side note, one of the one of Moshe's sternest rebukes in Devarim is Lo Simcha, Avodah Hashem. They did not serve Hashem with joy. Yeah, that's actually the curse of the Torah, and that's yeah. the curse of the law that the Messiah redeemed us from, which is crazy. <laughs> he redeemed us from the fact of serving him with a lack of joy. Like serving Hashem with a lack of joy. We've been redeemed from that because Mashiach rearranges to Yismach which means, and shall rejoice. Like we say, Yismak Moshe and the uh, the prayer on uh, Shabbat during the Shemoni Esrei. Moshe rejoiced in the gift of his portion. Two-tone established you placed in his hand, a crown of splendor you placed on his head. It uses the word Mashiach there. It's Yismak, so you rearrange it, it's Mashiach. So it literally could be read Mashiach Moshe. Reminds me of the word uh, netzach. Mm-hmm. Victory. Well, that is Moshe's uh, sephira. Yeah. Which would be, I wouldn't be surprised if that's his primary trait. Because the primary trait of Abraham was said, the primary trait of Yitzhak was uh, Gevura. 
and the primary trait of uh, Yafa was Emet. And, and Rav Dessler says that each one, Hashem put each one of them in situations where they had to use the other, which was not their primary trait. Wow. But the so, sages refer to Yaakov as the perfect one because his primary trait was the met truth. Because we find in Micah 7, 18 through 20, be El Kamoka, what God is like you. Um, I'll have to get out the Tanakh and read it, but it's one of the, it's one of the, it's part of the prayers, but it really doesn't show up in any Siddur that I know of, at least not the one that I use, or maybe the Askenazic either from Art Scroll, but I'm sure it's in Siddur's elsewhere. Um, but um, what is it? It's better to read it from the Tanakh because Micah seven eighteen. And I turn right there. <laughs> oh. Yeah, me el kamoka. No se avon ve avor al pasa. Li sharit nakalato lo a kazik laad apo ki hafetz hased hu yeshuv yerachamenu yikavosh avonu teinu ve tishlik b'mitzulot yam ko katutam and this is the part that always really pay attention to Titen Imet Le Yaakov Hesed Le Abraham Asher Nishpa'ata Le Avotenu Mimei Kedem You know, grant truth to Jacob, kindness to Abraham, you swore to our forefathers in days of old. Quick update, Netzach is an extension of Chesed. Yeah, because it's on the side of uh, Abba, on the Tree of Life. Bro, what? <laughs> Netzach comes from the word meaning Netzach or Natzach, meaning to conquer or to overcome. It denotes the idea of dominance. By giving in an unlimited way, one is overwhelming the other, and in this respect is an extension of chesed. 
So as you're talking about having to do the opposite, Abraham's having to deal with Gevura, Etak's having to deal with Chesed. So thinking about Moshe having to deal with defeat, like the lack of victory, which was interesting because Parshavet Hanan, he had to admit defeat because he does not get to go into the land. Yeah, it has to do with the gematria of Avayat Kanan. Um, if I'm trying to remember the gematria for that word, isn't it 511? 515. 515. So had Moshe pleaded. Tefila and Shira. Yeah, had Moshe pleaded one more time, the decree of the heavenly court would have been overturned, which is why Hashem says, do not bring this up again. Yep. Rabbi Chugman Shlita brought down a beautiful chidush. Well, I don't know if it was a chidush as much as a commentary, but the the thing about that not praying one more time, stopping when Hashem told him to stop, because originally Hashem said, you know that Arab Rav? They don't need to come out of Mitzrayim. Let them stay. Don't bring them out. Moshe's like, no, we're bringing out the sparks bring them and they ended up being a source of grief for us in the in the wilderness <laughs> you know the dissenters among us and so through parshava ekhanon there's like this whole uh tikkun and uh this repair that previously he didn't listen to hashem and then this one he's like you know what i'm gonna listen to hashem it's probably a good it's probably good that I don't go into the land. Like if Hashem doesn't want me to go into the land, he told me I can't go. Like, obviously I'm responsible for not being able to go in the land, but there's a reason for that. So. Yeah. But yeah, just, I love the, uh, the concept and the play of uh, the Sefi wrote and how they balance each other out, you know, and thinking about the dynamics between Yitzhak and Abraham and Yaakov and all that. Because this is why Yaakov had to go through the uh, fooling his father, you know, with the the clothes, you know, the goat skins, and then had to deal with the trickery of Levon and all that kind of stuff. Which is Mita Kanega Mita regarding yeah. deception. How about the Mita Kanega Mita with Leah and Rachel? <laughs> switching out on Yaakov. That was Levon that did that. Yeah. Rabbi Foreman at Alabeda brings that out very nicely. Um, because Rachel had a greater merit because of her tears. Yeah. It's really powerful. I mean, that was so good. Because what do you see with Raquel? You see the word Marar. Bitter. Miriam. She oh wept bitterly. An allusion to Pesach. The bitterness of captivity. Wow. Jeremiah says she refused to be comforted because she was not. That connects to Miriam, the sister of Moshe, because it says the slavery didn't get real bad until she was born. So when we were in Mitzrayim, 
it was oppression. But when Miriam was born, all the way up until Moshe, it was like, this is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing about Yaakov is, and this is the Arizal, um, regarding his 130 years of just enduring all kinds of bad things coming his way. Yeah. It's all about rectification for the 130 years of Adam Harishon's illicit behavior. And again, it's because he was wondering about Eve. Remember the verse in, in Bereshit, and Adam knew his wife. Yeah, yeah. We, we see this phrase juxtaposed with, and Hava says, and I got a man with Hashem. That, that just grabbed my attention. I said, so Da'at has an ominous overtone here. Because we have to remember, it was Hava that brought the fruit, presented the fruit to Adam. Right. Be all you can be, you know. <laughs> and the, the serpent, the, the root of the serpent's uh, Deception, leaving out the four-letter name, which is Hesed. Loving kindness. Because the first time we see that word combination is in Genesis 2. But we see in Genesis 3 that the serpent deliberately leaves that out to draw Eve's attention to uh, well, he's the king. He's a real hard guy, you know. And that's not the case, you know. Um, I mean, it's all bears on the Shab this coming Shabbat, Shabbat Nakamu. Because what do we see, you know, has said. Um, I think in the seven and a half Torah, we do see uh, the four-letter name connected with Elohim. Hmm. If I remember correctly, if we, um, I can go there right now. Um, what's the first one? Isn't it um, this week's half Torah? Is it in uh, Isaiah 40? I think. Nakamu Ami. Yeah. Man, don't it feel good to be able to like sing and listen to music again? I mean, oh. you can sing always, <laughs> but like. That's what my wife was doing. Uh, yes, it's Isaiah 40, verses 1 through 26. You are correct. Sir. I think at least in one of these half Torah readings, you have the uh, oh, yeah, not the moon, not the moon on me. I mean, uh, yeah, 
See, that's the thing is whenever you see in the context of this half Torah reading, when you see the four letter name and you see the words Nakamu, Nakamu, comfort, he's showing grace, he's showing his loving kindness in that context of that Sephira, of a said. Oh yeah, Yomer Elohekim, the the Baru, Lev Yerushalayim. Yeah, see, you kind of see that. Yeah, Vaykri U, Aleha. Ki mala'a, zeva'a, ki nirza. I'll see, we've got a synonym there for uh, the word that you were mentioning. Avona ki la kaka, biyad adonai. Kifliim Bakol Katoteha. Yeah, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak to uh, consolingly of Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her period of exile ah, has been completed, that her iniquity has been forgiven, for she has received double for all her sins from the hand of Hashem. And Hashem was like, for your double punishment, I give you a double comfort to go all the way back to the doubled grave or burial place. That is the entry to Gun Eden. Yep. Interesting that there's a tomb at the entrance to the garden. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. A double tomb. And it's like, all right, here's how you get to the garden. Wait a minute. Okay, so we're talking the tomb where the master was laid. Are we talking allusion to Machpela, the entrance to Ganidan? But that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh, why do you think there was a Herod sitting there? Listen to these next verses in this half Torah. A voice calls out in the wilderness. Clear the way of Hashem. Make straight path in the desert. A road for our God. Who was that? Yochanan sitting next to the Jordan. And who's the who? who he, and he is the Gilgul of Eliyahu. Pankis. <laughs> Every valley will be raised and every mountain and hill will be lowered. The crooked will become straight and heights will become valley. The glory of Hashem will be revealed and all flesh together will see that the mouth of Hashem has spoken. Amen.
Yeshua, King of Glory. Who is this King of Glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. Open ye gates. All right. So here is another thing: is he comes riding in on a kamor oh, in mercy, Rachum, <laughs> Homer, physicality. Your behold, daughters of Zion, your rejoice greatly for your king comes lowly riding on the. Colt. And all that we talked about humility earlier. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay. Rob, Rob, <laughs> Rob Yehuda Shaviv of Yeshivat Har Etzion brings down some tour. From Orach Chaim 428, from Parsha Bereshit until the 17th of Tammuz, the Haftarah follows the theme of the Parsha. From then onwards, the theme of the Haftarah, according to the date and the events related to it. There are three Haftarot of rebuke, and then seven. Haftarot of Consolation. The seven of Consolation are Nachamu for Parsha Bekanon, Vatomer Zion for Parsha Ekev, uh, Onia Soora, so, so Ara, so Onia Soora of Re'e, Anoki. For Shoftim, Roni Akara for Kitetse, Kumi Ori for Kitavo, Sos Asis, Badonai Tagel Nafshi for Nitavin. What did those translate to? Comfort you, my people, and Zion shall say, God has abandoned me. Although Zion is destroyed, do not say that she is abandoned since God has comforted her already in his mercy. He does not call for mercy again. Up until this point, the prophets console her. From here onwards, he consoles her. And once she has received consolation, she will follow with seeing, O barren one, arise and shine, I shall rejoice." So we're to give birth to a son at the end of this. You know, I just thought of something. <laughs> Three half Torah rebuke, and then the seven of comfort and consolation. <laughs> the three, the first triad of the Sephiro. The next six of Zerampin. I mean, you have Keter, Binah, and Chokmah. So now there's this Kav, this line from Keter to Adam Kadmon, which is Arik Anpin. 
as this cob descends down into Keter, we have the first triad of the Sephiroth of severity of the three half Torah of rebuke because of Israel's unfaithfulness. Then it descends down into this these half Torah of comfort and consolation of the second triad of the Sephiroth, which is Hesed, Tiferet, and Gevura. Then the next three of, of Netzach, Yesod, and um, oh, so now it slipped my tongue. <laughs> Malkut? Uh, no, not Malkut. Netzach, Yesod, and um, Hod. Hod. And <clears throat> then you have Malkut. All of, all of this descending down to each side, each pillar. And you have the three pillars. And it's coming all down. Ten. And Rosh Hashanah winds up being Malkut. Yep. <clears throat> Which is why because Malkut is Yisrael, yeah. like Knesset Yisrael. So this is why that's Parsha Nitzavim. Parsha Nitzavim always corresponds to Rosh Hashanah. And it's all of Yisrael standing here today. And you so we are all standing here today about to cross over. Yeah. So what is amazing is you're talking about something coming down or someone coming down through the the emanations of light which are the sefi road you know which is by the way when we count it the omer we count it through the sefi road yep right so i mean that's pretty interesting and then the tablets originally were sefi sapphire lukot these luminous stones which is interesting because the luminous stones became what we put in the priestly garments so we actually did get the sapphire tablets, but they were hidden in the bosom of the Kohen Gadol, which is crazy. But yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, then you have Leah and Raquel, those parts of him as well. Because um, Leah is usually hidden in the back of Zeram Hing, while Raquel is revealed. Um, I found this guy, uh, this channel on YouTube, uh, Restoration of the Breach. Um, I, w I wish he would give his name because he does get into the Zohar. He connects it with uh, Apples from the Orchard. And he has a lot of oh. diagrams of the Sephiro of Arkampin, Zerampin, and all, all of that just nicely drawn out. And you can really start to see it, you know? Hmm. But yeah, really great. You should uh, check him out. Restoration of the Breach. 
It's interesting that you said he won't give his name, <laughs> but yet he's like doing all this stuff. It's like the the faceless servant. <laughs> yeah. Where's all I, this coming from? I think from? I can understand why he's doing that. He doesn't, you know, he wants the glory of Hashem to be revealed, you know, and he's being a, a proper vessel. Yeah, that's another thing that we all have to get to as well because that's how the light can shine its brightest through us when all of us can can do that you know to where we take no glory of our own well yeah it's like i was saying before when we serve Hashem, we don't get to say what's in it for me because we really are the vessel the conduit through which um, his knowledge and wisdom and understanding reside in and emanate from. Because that's our job is to reveal him. So that's First Peter two nine. I get it. You got it. Okay, so this is the one you sh you sent this to me about the thirteen petals. And the, uh, what was that connected to? The, the 42 couplings and all that kind of stuff. You remember you sent me that one? Yeah. Um, let me see. Here. I just put yeah, it was, uh, well, the complete Zohar part one, the, the Lily. Yeah, that one. But there's a part two as well. And he posted right. it the following day or the day after, I think. Yeah, because you were saying he's doing a series. So, yeah, it, he really does not, like, have <laughs> anything of himself. It's just like, here's here's all source. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he even provides a, a link um, to the book. Um A PDF, which I was able to download, which I have to get into and study. So now I got something of that nature to connect with Apples from the Orchard and some of the other books on Kabbalah that I have. Mm -hmm. um, and the Ari's Commentor commentary. So, yeah, so just to give everybody a little uh, preview here, see. Where to go? <laughs> yeah, like that's all you see. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, that video he gets into the um, the parts of theme. <laughs> Um, uh, let's see. So, continuing on here. 
And we have, uh, many people shall come and say, come and let us go up to the mountain of Hashem, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of Hashem from Jerusalem. Ki metzion Torah. Yeah. Remember that uh, insight we read at the end of Tishabav from Yirmiyahu about the uh, the five voices that you gladden the bride and the groom with, corresponding oh. to the five voices at the giving of the Torah. <laughs> yeah. And so we were talking about how basically the, the final redemption will be like the giving of the Torah again, like to the whole entire world, which is the implications behind the song, Ki Mitzion Tete Torah. Yep. You shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. <clears throat> they shall beat their swords into plowshares, this is a well-known verse, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn more anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of Hashem. Man. That compared to who we are. Yes, Yahoo two, three through six. Yep. I was just saying, think about that compared to where we are now. Like nation is against nation. There are totally no plowshares that have been made from swords, <laughs> you know. <laughs> But it's going to happen. It is going to happen. I was uh, talking to one of my fellow co-workers today because he was concerned about the whole financial collapse and everything that people are trying to make happen. Uh, I didn't get to tell him this, but in the back of my mind, I was thinking, well, yeah, when the Mashiach comes, everybody's going to be broke. You know, that whole prophecy that exists. <laughs> it was like, I guess it probably wasn't time for him to hear that. But um, I was thinking about the fact that in the time to come, we're all going to be bartering. You know, like everybody's going to have their special thing that they do. And they're going to we're going to share that with each other. You know, like people who do rice and people do fabrics. It's like, okay, well, I, could I have some rice? Can I have some fabric? Okay, cool. You know, like everybody has their little specialized thing that they share in, kind of like how we do with the gifts of the spirit, you know? Like that's going to manifest in the world, like nation with nation. <laughs> that is something else, man. Yeah, it's so, yeah, in, uh, whatever. Says in Revelation, it'll cost you a day's wages to buy a loaf of bread. But that, you know, that's well, I don't think that's literal, of course. That's Revel good. Yeah. <laughs> Revelation is very allegorical. You know, it's totally, it's, you know, it's Kabbalah all the way. Um, yeah. Might, might have a better time studying Ezekiel chapter one. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah. Or the song at the or the uh, splitting of the sea. Let's go back to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's Ezekiel four nine. Yeah. Um. Then there's what the sages say regarding Matila uh, Yadahim and uh, the eating of bread. Goodness, what? Yep. Come on, give a little sneak peek. <laughs> um, this goes to uh, Matthew 15, where um, why do you transgress the tradition of the elders? What the perishing said to Yeshua, but Yeshua says to them, why do you transgress the commandment of Hashem by your tradition. For to eat without washing hands does not defile a man. But this, the origin of this is in the Talmud where the sages say that he who eats bread with unwashed hands is like having relations with a harlot. And that's in Ezekiel. Um, All right. So, what I there was something interesting from the Benish High which I wanted to grab. It's Parsha. You know how he (laughs) was just getting into it. Ederet Eliyahu. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is really good. Um, you know, Bar Adonai Eli, Rav Lak, El, Tosef Daber, Ele, Od, Badavar, Hazay. Hashem said to Moshe, It is enough for you. Do not speak to me about this matter anymore which we touched on earlier. Deborah 3.26. It is known that a Zadik has control over the awe of Hashem. And this is how a rabbis of blessed memory explained Shmuel Aleph 16.1 when Hashem sent Shmuel to the home of Yishai to anoint David. Kira'iti Benenav, Lee, Melech, for I saw among his sons a king for me, as if to say a king over me. Here we saw that Moshe Rabbeinu prayed many times to be allowed to enter Eretz Israel, and Hashem, who knows all the mysteries, ruled that there was a great reason not to allow that to happen. This was difficult for him since the Zadik has control over the all of Hashem and Moshe's request should have been approved. Hence, we saw Hashem tell Moshe Rabbeinu not to pray anymore and said to him, Vayomer Adonai Elei Rav Lak, to mean that he had to fulfill his decree and, had, and hence, Al Tosef Daber Elei Old Bidavar, Hazay, do not talk to me about this matter anymore. In other words, Hashem told Moshe that he did not 
want him to request this anymore because he would then have to disapprove it. And that was hard for him to do. Another explanation from Vayomer Adonai Alei Rav Lak follows the explanation of Rashi, a blessed memory regarding Maseka Ketubot 43b, that every Rav is from Babylon and every Rebbe is from Eretz Yisrael. Regarding Isaiah 19.1, the burden of Egypt, behold, the Shem is riding on a swift cloud. The Ari HaKadosh explained that outside the land of Israel, the influence is from Av Kal, and its gematria is 72. Ooh. For Av, and 130 for Kel, for a total of 202, which is equal to the numerical value of Rav. However, in the land of Israel, when we add 10, we get Rebbe. Thus, Rav Lak being that yours is only from outside the land of Israel and not from within it because the latter has title has the title Rebbe. And it is not possible for you, Moshe, to enter it. And hence, El Tosef, Deber, Ele, Od, Bedevar, Azay. Do not talk to me about this matter anymore. But that caught my attention right there. Where he pulls out the gematria from some of those words. Rav, Rebbe. <laughs> I mean, that's just, yeah. Well, how about the fact of Hashem saw a king over himself? Yep. <laughs> and among the sons of Eshai. Oh, my yeah. God. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's interesting. A king for himself, not unlike when the tribes clamored for a king and Shmuel had to remind them that Hashem is both our God and our king. But then Hashem said, you know, don't be grieved for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Wow. And I'm always reminded when Yeshua is standing before Pilate and Pilate says, shall I crucify your king? And the, I mean, they're acting like the rabble, the heir of rabble. We have no king but Caesar. I'm going, are you kidding me? <laughs> Isn't that what happens on a prep day, though, when you should be preparing for Pesach and, you know, the people who are left to be a, available to make such a judgment? It's probably the people who weren't preparing for Pesach. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, if it was ever Pesach, I don't have time to be walking around saying crucify him, crucify him. I'm trying to get ready for a Seder. I'm trying to make sure all my hummets is out. <laughs> and they're like, no, bring the hummets in. Let's do this. <laughs> anyway, that's something I, I, I always thought about. I was just like, wouldn't the people who would probably know 
we don't do death penalties. Like those Pharisees, they probably wouldn't be there because they were prepping for Pesach. Which to yeah. your point on the Torah Wellsprings, it says uh, it is uh, customary to not take a haircut before Erev Shabbat of uh, Shabbat Nakamu. But on Erev Shabbat, you can get a haircut. Something I never thought about up until realizing what does Erev Shabbat mean, that literally means the day before the Shabbat, which is why you you normally tell people when you see them on a Friday, on a prep day, you say Shabbat Shalom, even though it's not Shabbat yet. And so the day before a holiday is considered to be the Erev of that particular Yom Tov. It's like the day before Rosh Hashanah, Erev Rosh Hashanah. This comes into play because there's some kind of way that for Yom Kippur, it's supposed to be a fast for the 9th and the 10th of Tishrei. I don't know where that piece of commentary is, but the reason why we eat a big meal on Erev Yom Kippur is to fulfill the commandment to fast on Erev Yom Kippur. The sages liken the meal to as if you fasted. So it's like, it's a really crazy thing, but um, I, I'm so sad being a person of loving sources that I don't remember where I saw that. <laughs> but um, my whole point in bringing that up was just to say, other than the flash grenades there, um, of uh, the day before a Yom Tov is considered the era of that particular Yom Tov. So, yeah, I was just reminded of uh, a holocaust regarding how early you can welcome Shabbat and, and oh, light the candles. Yeah. Um, again, I read this on Holocaust, your email that I get, and it is acceptable to welcome Shabbat as early as three hours. Okay. So are we doing that now? I merely quote the halakha. I don't say that you should adhere to it. <laughs> no, because the implications of that is the sixth to the ninth hour. <laughs> the three hours before the, the sealing of the judgment. Because, yeah. you know, we didn't last for one hour in the garden without sinning. Yeah. Could you not stay awake with me for one hour? Yeah. So go ahead, three hours earlier, bring in the Shabbat. And there was <laughs> darkness up until the sixth hour of the day. Yeah. Which should have been the brightest time of the day. Well, kind of, because uh, noon would be the brightest. But yeah, Menka time, it's pretty bright outside. Yes. Um, so the third hour of the day, I think, would start at noon. Mm -hmm. approximately and mm -hmm. so that's when it began from mm -hmm. the third to the sixth hour that Matthew uh, says no six six to the ninth yeah 
Here, I got you. I'm going to source it out for us. Okay. If the, yeah. If Matthew 27, 45. Uh, sixth hour until the ninth hour, darkness came over all the, the earth. Okay. But nonetheless, you have a three-hour oh, period there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's interesting that Halakha was like, yeah, go ahead and bring the Shabbat in. Light it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No Wait, time to fall into darkness. <laughs> and what does he say in Matthew 24? Pray that you're, uh, that you don't have to flee on the Shabbat. Yeah. You um, know, there was a Torah Wellsprings from last year that was bringing that down about candle lighting on Shabbat being related to hastening the redemption. So it says people who want to bring in the Shabbat earlier and have the Shabbat stay later. Like we're asking Hashem to have a Mita Kenega response for bringing the redemption. So bring the redemption earlier because we are lighting the candles earlier you know, we yearn to be in the redemption. That's why we're staying in the Shabbat later. So it yeah. was a beautiful drop on that. Yeah. Actually, to continue this from Torah Wellsprings on Shabbat Nakamu, so I was reading uh, similarly the Maharil states that on Shabbat Nakamu, the entire nation shall be happy and trust in the condolences of redemption. The Mishnah in Ta'anit 26 states that the Jewish nation never had such good yomim tovim as the 15th of Av. The Ritva writes, therefore, there's a custom to conduct a festive meal on Shabbos after Tisha B'Av. Uh, ben uh, Shoiv, student of the Rashba, writes, it is a mitzvah to celebrate the Shabbos as though it were a Yom Tov. The Kazam <laughs> this year it's actually a Yom Tov. <laughs> and what was the last Shabbat that we read from Torah Wellsprings when they said the same thing? <laughs> that Shabbat Kazon is a Yom Tov? It was. Yeah, wow. Yeah, the Kazam Sofer Masay teaches in the name of uh, Yerushalmi that Av is a month comprised of two months. Av is until Tisha B'Av, and after Tisha B'Av, a new month begins called Menachem, comfort. Several times in the Kazam Sofer's Tesavos, he writes the date, the month Menachem. Month that begins in the middle of the month. The Kazam Sofer says that this is Menachem, which starts in the middle of Av. One of the names of Mashiach and the real name of Noach. Yeah. That really, so Av is really two. <laughs> well, Noach, Hen. They Noach Matzah Hen. And we see in the Torah, Noach, Noach. Yeah. Okay, I see what you did there. And by <laughs> et Hanan, Hanan. Hanan, in that word. Wow. My grace is sufficient for you. 
What was that statement you said before we hit the record button? Hashem is pleading with us to love him? Yeah. That was beautiful. Now see, Hashem is with us. This Shabbos is called Shabbat Nakamu, the Shabbos of condolence because of the half Torah that begins Nakamu, Nakamu Ami. Be consoled, my nation. But how can we be consoled? We lost the Beit Hamikdash and were banished into Galus. The answer is Nakamu, Nakamu Ami, Ya'amer. Elokeikim. Remember that Elokeikim, Hashem is our God. We are in Galus, but Hashem is with us. And that realization is a cause of great joy. Amen. Which is the Mashiach. This is why he said, I'm with you until the end of the age. And if you rearrange the letters of Mashiach, you do have Simcha. Spelled effectively. Yeah. I am come that your joy might be full. Wow. And I will send another, when I have departed, I will send another comforter. The Menachem, Menachem. The Av, Av, Noach, Noach. Menachem Ruach. Wow. That's incredible. Shir Hashirim 48 states Oti Mala Mil Lavon Mil. I don't quite got that word. Uh, Hashem <laughs> says to the Jewish people, to the Jewish nation, you will go with me to Galus. The following Ooh. words are are Rashi writes, and when you return from this exile, I will return with you. And also in Galus, I am with you through all your Zaros. Your troubles. And what is what does Yeshua say in Matthew 28, 19 or 20? And I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Yeah, I was going to say the John 17, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I've overcome the the world. world. Our condolence is that Hashem is always with us. It states in Yashiyahu 51.12, I, and only I, am the one who consoles you. The double Anoki is our condolence. Anoki, Anoki, who Menachem, Menachem, Menachem Mekin. Because at the revelation of Matan Torah, Hashem said Anoki. Also, regarding the darkest moments of Galus, it states Anoki, uh, Aster. Aster. I will hide. Anoki represents the peak of revelation and the depths of Galus. Anoki, Anoki, who Menachemekin means that 
during good times when Hashem reveals his kindness to us, and even during times of concealment and galus, it's the same. Anoki. It is the name Hashem who is with us, and this awareness consoles us. Hashem is always close to the Jewish nation as it states, which great nation has a God so close to them, like Hashem, our God. The Midrash Devarim Rabbah too elaborates, a ship arrived at an unknown island and the Gentiles on board sent the only Yid on board to the island to buy food and provisions. The Yid asked them, why are you sending me? I am a stranger to this island, just like you. They told him, you are not alone. Wherever you go, Hashem is with you. As it states, Asher lo Elohim Keruvim Elav. A fire once broke out in the home of Reb Shmuel Minkus, a blessed memory, a student of the Baal HaTanya, a blessed memory. And Reb Shmuel was seen outside dancing. People feared that he lost his mind due to the financial loss. Why else would he be dancing at this time? He explained to them, if I were a non-Jew, my God would be burned in fire together with my wealth, but I'm a Yid and my God still exists. That's why I'm so happy. Yeah, that makes me think of Acts 27. Where um, Shaul is uh, shipwrecked. And uh, he's making the fire and a serpent jumps out of the, the sticks and attaches itself to him. And he just shakes it off. Just looking this over. There's so much like <laughs> Tour of Wellsprings lives up to its name. <laughs> yeah, it does. Um, four tips for your tefillos to be answered. This parsha is called Vayat Kanan, which means tefillah. It states Vayat Kanan El Adonai Vayat uh, Lemor. I pray to Hashem at that time, saying. Ooh, the Orkaim HaKadosh writes that Moshe Davin in the most ideal way for his tefillahs to be answered, and his approach to tefillah is a lesson for all of us on how we should Davin, so that our tefillahs will be answered. The Pasuk alludes to four steps of tefillah. One, it isn't proper to ask from Hashem like you deserve that Hashem should answer you or that he must grant your request. Yeah, this, see, this is something I've subconsciously known for quite some time. You can't treat God like a talisman and demand that he do something for you, like a rabbit's foot, you know, something like that. Yeah, or a genie yeah. or something. Yeah, don't rub the lamp. <laughs> I mean, 
genie with the light brown hair. You know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, instead, you should pray with, okay, with what? I was just reading from our Votazera 20B. What is the greatest virtue? Humility. Sounds majestic. Uh, <laughs> humility, understanding that you don't deserve anything. I mean, 100%. We don't get to ask what's in it for me. This is alluded to from the word which means pleading as a poor person who humbly pleads for aid. As it states in Mishlei 18, the poor plead. Two, the next condition for tefillah is hinted in the words El Adonai. The Orkaim writes to plead from the source of compassion. Three, Bayat Hahi teaches us to Davin where there is a, an ace ratzon, auspicious times for tefillah, because there are times that are more mashugo for tefillah, and we should strive to Davin at those times. Amen. Number four, Leamor means that when one divines, one should express himself clearly. He shouldn't speak in vague, ambiguous terms, leaving room for doubt in the meaning of his words. See, note 12 on that. There was a couple in Yerushalayim that had only one daughter. They wanted more children, and they would davine, fill our house with children. With those somewhat ambiguous words, they prayed for more children. Their one and only daughter merited to have many children. Unfortunately, she was divorced, and she and her children moved into her parents' home. The parents' tefillos were answered. Their home saw was now filled with children. But that wasn't what they meant. It is imperative to be specific and express oneself properly while divining. May we do so. We shouldn't say Hashem knows what I mean. Instead, speak clearly and say exactly what you want to say, your Kavana. It speaks to your intentions. Yeah kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about um, like you can say one thing um, but like the, what's the actual what's the actual fact you know like in other words you know we, we have the halakha about saying the Shema and it is the fulfillment of the mitzvot but someone who would just come up and say the Shema that's not the actual fulfillment of the mitzvot because when you say the Shema, you're intending to fulfill the mitzvah, you know, as opposed to just say it. So yeah. it's just kind of like when you're before Hashem, 
It's like, yes, he knows what you're going to request before you ask. However, you can't just rely on that and not ask. (laughs) And be specific. So, Rukashem, two more lines of rumination here. Yeah, the Orkayim quotes the following Midrash, Esther Rabbah 7.24. A traveler was exhausted after walking a long distance. He raised his eyes to heaven and said, Rabbono Shel Olam, send me a donkey. This was an ambiguous prayer because he didn't express the reason that he wanted a donkey. He walked on and met a high-ranking official. The official was standing next to a donkey and its new offspring. The official couldn't travel on with the newborn, so he commanded the Yid to carry the baby donkey to the official's home. As the Yid walked with the donkey on his shoulders, he said, this happened to me because I devined for a donkey, but I didn't express myself clearly. I didn't say that I want a donkey to ride on. My prayers were answered and I received a donkey, but instead of riding on it, I have to carry it. <laughs> oh. That's why I like these Torah wellsprings, man, because you get these agotics, you know? Yeah. Uh, Reb Moshe Binder of Blessed Memory asked, why is expressing oneself coherently and clearly in tefillah so important? Hashem knows what we need, even if we don't express it ourselves. Furthermore, why was the person mentioned in the Midrash punished that he had to carry the baby donkey? Why did he deserve punishment for not expressing himself appropriately in his tefillos? Rab Moshe Minder replied that the root of the problem is that he didn't realize that when one davenes, he is like a son asking something from his father. If the person realized that he is Hashem's son, he would express himself clearly. For example, he would say, Father, I have been walking for so long and I am tired. Please give me a donkey so that I can ride on it. He wouldn't mince words. He would express himself well. But he didn't express himself well because he didn't feel close to Hashem. And this is why we're supposed to be like children. Yeah. Yeshua told us, you got to become like these to inherit the kingdom. Yep. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Mm-hmm. Rav Moshe Minder taught this lesson to his friend, Rav Herschel uh, McCrinky, seven weeks before Rav Moshe's uh, Patira. He then concluded, whenever you need salvation, I recommend that you say two chapters of Tehillim and then express your needs before Hashem. Eat Barak in your own words. Express yourself well. Don't hint. Don't be ambiguous. Don't be stingy with your words. And then Hashem will answer your tefillos. And I request that when you do this, mention my name, Moshe Ben Raquel, so I too will benefit from this. Wow. Shameless place. Yeah, Yeshua says, you will now be praying in my name. Whatever you ask for will be granted to you. So, Siak Kasadi. 
states in this week's parsa ki mi uh, goy gadol asher lo elokim keruvim ilav kol elokeinu bakol kareinu ilav, which great nation has a God close to them as Hashem, our God is close to us whenever we call out to him. That's in the Ashri. The Yerushalmi explains that to the human eye, it appears that Avodah Zarah is close to its worshipers because it is together with, uh, with the idol worshipers in their homes. And it also seems to us that Hashem is very far away because we don't see him, but the opposite is true. As the Yerushalmi writes, no one is closer than Hashem and the Jewish nation. Hashem seems to be far away because the distance from the earth to the heavens is very far. Yet when a Yid comes to the Beit HaKnesset and stands behind the Amud and devines silently, HaKadosh Baruch Hu listens to his tefillos. Is there anything closer? Hashem listens to him as though he is whispering into Hashem's ear. When we have this now we will express ourselves well, and expressing oneself well is a segula for the tefillos to be answered. The Midrash of Devarim Rabbah 211 writes, HaKadosh Baruch Hu told Moshe, I swear that whenever the Jewish nation calls to me, I will answer them. As it states, Kol Elokeinu Bekol Koreinu Elav, whenever we call to Hashem, Hashem is near to answer our tefillos. Baruch Hashem. Amen. Well, that's very encouraging as we head into Tuba'av and the Consolation and Rosh Hashanah. You know, we're going, getting ready for 40 days of Teshuvah. So, like, we can really repent. Hashem will help us. Okay, I got the <coughs> Dafei Tang up. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Vayatkanan, the secret of Shema. The most central expression of one God faith is Shema from this week's Parsha. Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. The Gematria is 1118 which is equal to 86 times 13, where 86 is the gematria for Elohim and 13 is the gematria for Echad. Why Elohim, which is plural? Precisely so, for a natural man sees many divine emanations with many names of God. But Israel is commanded to believe in one God by faith. For our God, Eloheinu, in Gematria is 102, the Gematria of faith, Emunah. <clears throat> one people. If God is one, it follows that Israel must be one. As it is written, Umi ka'a meka ki Yisrael goy echad ba'aretz. And who is like your people, like Israel, a nation one in the earth? 
2 Samuel 7.23. The Gematria is 1092, which is exactly the Gematria of Shema, less 26, with 26 as the Gematria of Hashem. What does one God have to do with one Israel? In the same way that there is one God, despite many levels of emanation, so is there one people of believers, despite their differences. It is one God in heaven and one Israel on earth. One God and one Israel in Gematria is 593, which is, which is exactly the same Gematria of Yisrael Goy Echad from, from the above verse, which means Israel is one nation at the simple level, but hyperliterally it means that Israel and the nations is unified as one, i.e., the unification of Israel with the nations as one people in one faith of one God. Adonai Echad is a gematria of 39, Yisrael Echad. 554 for a total of 593. The, the Gematria of Echad 1 and her Atbash is 573. So Echad Alev Het Dalet 13, but Atbash Tav Samek Kuf is 560. For 573. And 573 is the Gematria of Israel Goy Echad, of the same phrase from the above verse without the prefix Kav, meaning Israel and nation is one at the hyperliteral level of the text. This comes to teach us that Israel is the collective name for those chosen by God as his people for the gematria of this verse is 1092, which is equal to 84 times 13, where 13 is the gematria of Echad and 84 is the ordinal number of Israel and nation, 83 plus a kolel one, i.e. the union of Israel with the nations, 83 plus one. Ordinal number of Israel, 64, Goy Nation, 1983. Dada of Ka Yisrael, Goy Akad Baaretz, like Israel, one nation in the earth, is 886, which is exactly the Gematria of the three possible spellings out of Elohim as follows. Spelled out with Aleph, the man Hey Yod, Mem, 291. Spelled out with a Hey, Aleph, the man Hey, Yod, Mem, 295. Hey, spelled out with a Yod, Aleph, the man Hey, Yod, Mem, 300 for a total of 886. Elohim represents the lower emanation of God, and uh, Yodike Vavke is the higher emanation of God, which has four primary spellings out as follows. Ma, 
Yod He Vav He 45. Ban Yod He Vav He 52. Sag Yod He Vav He 63. Av Yod He Vav He 72. 232. The union of Elohim. And Hashem, with their spelled out forms, in Gematria is 886 plus 232 equals 1,118, which is exactly the Gematria of Shema, as noted above. One Mashiach, the only way that the nations can be unified with Israel as one nation is through Mashiach. The gematria of one God, one Israel, and one Mashiach is 964, which is exactly the gematria of Mashiach, Israel, and nations as follows. So Adonai Echad 39, Mashiach 358, Israel Echad 50, 554, and Israel 541. Mashiach Echad 371 and nations, Begoim 65, the total is 964. And 964 is exactly the Gematria of Shema without mentioning the three names of God as follows Shema Yisrael Echad. Shema Yisrael. Shema Yisrael and Atbash is uh, Beit Yod Zain, Mem Beit Gimel Tav Kaf Sofi, has a gematria of 484. This is the same gematria of to obey is better than sacrifice. Shema Mizbeach Tov. First uh, Samuel 15:22. To obey is the same word as Shema, with different vowelization. This comes to teach us that the essence of Shema Yisrael is in the fulfillment of the spirit of the law rather than the letter of the law. The difference in Gematria of Shema Yisrael 951, uh, here Israel and Atbash 484, so 954. 951 minus 484 is 467, which is exactly the gematria of Goyim uh, Le Mishkeka, meaning nations to your Mashiach, i.e., the nations gathered to Mashiach of Israel. Four, 467 is also the sum of the ordinal number of Israel nation and the gematria of one Mashiach as follows. Israel in ordinal number, Israel 64, the nation in ordinal number, Goim 32, Mashiach is one, Mashiach Echad 371, total 467. I am that I am. The three holy names in Shema is Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai, Lord our God, Lord, which obviously reflect the same pattern as Aye, Asher, Aye, 
I am that I am. The difference in Gematria between the revealed Lord, our Lord, God, Lord, and the concealed name in Abash is 1,085. Adonai, Eloheinu, Adonai, 154, and Atabash is 1,239. So you subtract 154 from 1,239, you have 1,085. Astonishingly, the midpoint number between 1 and 1,085 is 543, which is exactly the gematria of Aye Asher, Aye, commonly translated as I am that I am. This is the name connected with redemption. At the simple level, the gematria of Aye Asher, Aye, is 21 plus 501 plus 21 equals 543. But at a deeper level, concealed level, the number 21 and 501 can be expressed using the same two letters, Kaf and Aleph. This is because the final form of Kaf and Gamatria can also be 500 when the two letters, Kaf and Aleph, for 21 is reversed as on the left, Kaf, Sophie, the Gematria is elevated to 501 as follows. Revealed level, Kaf, Sophie, 21 plus 501 plus 21. Kaf, Aleph, Kaf, Aleph, Kaf, Aleph. Conceal level 21. This comes to reveal that the name Aye Asher Aye at the concealed level in Gematria is 63, being 21 plus 21 plus 21. 63 in mirror image is 36. The secret of the primordial light, which is Mashiach, also known as Yakida, and the Gematria of Yakida and Yodke Vavke is exactly 63. For 36 is exactly the sum of the ordinal number and small gematria without the zero of light as follows. Small gematria without the zero or nine ordinal number of or 27 equals 36. Nine times three is 27. Astonishingly, if we substitute the light of Mashiach, which is 36, for the three divine names in the Shema, the new Gematria is exactly 1,000. The Gematria of Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. As follows, here, here Israel is one, Shema Yisrael Echad 964, Light of Mashiach 36, 1000. One, Yodke Vavke. It is customary to write two inscriptions on the back of the parchment for Shema in the mezuzah as follows the Hebrew word Shaddai.
the Hebrew word kazal, kazaz, kazal, it's kaf, fav, zayin, vav, beit, mem, yod, kaf, samek, zayin, then kaf, vav, zayin, vav. Both are names of God, but the second phrase is a code based on a technique using one letter shift to the left of the alphabet for the three names of God in the Shema. If this technique is applied to the six words of Shema, the revealed number of Sh for Shema will be 1,521. So if you take Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Akkad and do a left shift. And you will have a gematria of 1,521. Astonishingly, 1,521 is the sum of the 27 possible spellings out of Yodke Vavke, meaning the full emanations of. Yodke Vavke, but still 1,521 is 39 squared, where 39 is the Gematria of Adonai Echad, meaning there is one God, despite the 27 different emanations. The 27 emanations of Yodke Vavke are as follows. Um, I could probably, what I could do is I could probably just cut and paste this and send it to you because you have to see it. Yeah, when you do um, letter shifts and substitutions, it definitely is helpful to see yeah. where all placement is. Because a lot of this, you know, you really have to see it. 27 is the ordinal number of light, or for God is beyond light, but the emanation of God is light with 27 levels of descent. The secret of Shaddai. Shaddai is the name that was revealed to the patriarch. Ba'era el Abraham el Yitzhak, Ba'el Yaakov. Ba'el Shaddai, Ushemo Adonai, Lo Nodati Lachem. And I appeared to Abraham as, appeared unto Abraham, unto Yitzhak, unto Yaakov, as God Almighty, but by my name, Yodke Vavke, I made me not known to them. Or I was not known to them. Concealed. Yeah. The secret of Shaddai is that it has the same gematria of Metatron, which is 314. Jacob mentioned that there was a mysterious angel of Redeemer that redeemed him, as it is written. Ha-Malak Ha-Goel Oti Mikol Ra the angel who hath redeemed me from all evil. The spelling out of Shaddai is Shaddai Shin Dalet Yod 314. 
spelled out Sheen Dalet Yod 814. This means the pregnant letters in Shaddai is 814 minus 314 equals 500, which is the gematria of Sar. And Metatron is called Sar Metatron, meaning Prince Metatron. Shaddai is called El Shaddai, commonly translated as God Almighty. The gematria is 345. And what other word shares that gematria? Moshe. Okay, yep. And also uh, Shiloh. When L is spelled out, Aleph Lamed, the gematria is exactly that of Panim. Apanim faces, which is 185. Sar Metatron is called Metatron Prince of the Faces. Metatron Shah Shar Apanim. The Gematria is 999, which is exactly the Gematria of El Shaddai, spelled out in full as follows. Aleph, Lamed, Shin, Dalet, Yo, 999. And then Metatron Shar up a name, 999. And maybe surmise that the angel of Redeemer is Metatron, Prince of Faces, which is the secret of El Shaddai, who appeared to the three patriarchs. In both cases, the initials of both names in Gematria is 345, the Gematria of Moshe, or more astonishingly, the three letters of Moshe is exactly the three initials of Metatron, Prince of the Faces. Yep. It's almost saying that Moshe is Metatron. Pretty much. Which means that Mashiach could be seen as Metatron because he's the prophet like Moshe. Great connection. So the secret of the parchment. What is the secret behind these two inscriptions on the Shema parchment? As noted above, the secret of Shaddai is the number 999. As above noted, 999 is 1,118 less 119. The secret of one letter shift in Gematria is 1,521, as above noted, which is 1,118 plus 403. The sum of 403 and 119 is 522, which is exactly the Gematria of Yeshua spelled out, which is the name of Mashiach as follows. Yeshua, Yod Shin Vav Ayin 522. The unification of Shema. The unification of Shema is to unify 1,118 in one 
1,118 plus one equals 1,119, which is exactly the sum of Mashiach, Israel, nation, and Gematria, and ordinal number in Echad, one as follows. Israel and Gematria, 541, Goyim, 59, Mashiach, 358, Israel, or an ordinal number, 64, nation and ordinal, 32, Mashiach and ordinal, 52, one and either Gematria or ordinal, 13, 1,119. And 1,119 is exactly the unification of the seven Echad, one in Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. Uh, okay, so in that verse reads, there is one body, one spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all. Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. And I would say that, of course, Shaul very deeply familiar with Gematria. Yep, absolutely. The seven Echad, one in Hebrew and Gematria are as follows, which is exactly 1,118 unified with a one. <clears throat> so now we get the Hebrew words from that verse. Guf, 89. Ruach, 214. Tikva, 511, Adon, 61, Ebunah, 102, Tevilah, 56, Elohim, 86, 1,119. So there's your proof. The above verse is concluded with Father of All, which in Hebrew would be rendered as Av Lekot, meaning the Father of All is also Father of one, the gematria of father of all is 83, which is exactly the ordinal number of Israel and nation, singular as follows. Israel, an ordinal number, Israel, 64, the nation, singular, an ordinal number, Goy, 1980, which is 83. That's it. And getting to the last two lines of our rumination. Clearly, there is no difference between Jacob and Israel. Once again, reminding us of this gospel fact, Jew and Gentile are fellow heirs. Oh, man. And we have one king. We are one people. We have the given one Torah. Just ties it all together nicely. Yeah, a whole mathematical outlook at the parasha. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing. Um, and well, just to be thorough. <laughs> uh, grab your Dessler. <laughs> what page? Oh, all you got to do is go to the um, 
303. No, wait a minute. Um, 107. It's about the same. Mine stops at like two something. Actually, 107, excuse me. Well, needless to say, Bayat's canon. I mean, I, I go by the parses on this book, not necessarily the page numbers. Yeah, because I was just wondering, if, uh, like, are you doing one of the snippets or? Yeah, he talks about the purpose of suffering. Because there's a whole thing about Mashiach without Teshuvah. But yeah, if you want to read the section on the purpose of suffering, that'd be a good way to close this out. Yeah. Okay. The purpose of suffering. Okay. Um, God will scatter you among the nations and there you will worship God's made by human hands of wood and stone. And from there you will seek God, <clears throat> your God, and you will find him if you search for him with all your heart and soul. Suffering and exile are sent by Hashem for various purposes. They may be punishment for sins and punishment, as we know, is meant to teach us and correct our faults. God chastises the one he loves God chastises you as a man chastises his son. On the other hand, wrongdoing may be reached, may have reached such a stage that hope for repentance is virtually lost. Divine judgment may then decide to remove all support and let matters take their course, even if this leads to utter destruction, moral and ultimately also physical. This is the process of one sin brings on another sin. Mercy also decrees this course. As the Mishnah tells us, death for the wicked is good for them and good for the world. Good for them because they can do no more evil and good for the world because it no longer has to suffer from their wrongdoing. This may have been the fate of the ten tribes of Israel, but such is but such a solution can never be applied applied to Kalal Yisrael as a whole, concerning whom there is divine promise. I shall never reject them nor utterly destroy them. The Torah describes the consequences of abandoning the mitzvot in material terms. Uh, poverty being conquered and ultimately being exiled. Rabbam explains this as follows. We are told in the Torah that if we deliberately abandon the Torah, the true judge will remove from those who have done this. 
who had done this all the good things of this world, which encouraged them to rebel against God. This is the first alternative, corrective punishment, and he will bring upon them all the misfortunes that prevent them from acquiring Olam Haba so that they shall perish in their wickedness. This is the second alternative. A sin draws in its wake another sin. Evil destroys itself. At first sight, it may seem as if these two alternatives contradict each other, but this is not necessarily so. The way of corrective punishment is effective for the person who is likely to learn from suffering to change his life. For the one who is not prepared to do this, suffering may become destructive. Sin multiplies until the limit is reached. This is what the rabbis mean by the measure of sin is full. When evil has destroyed all the good, the evil itself must disappear. Something that is completely evil cannot exist. There is a safety valve built into the universe. Evil certain, must certainly destroy itself. But there may be a happier outcome. Suffering may have the effect of destroying the evil in the person while leaving the person intact. This may be what Rambam meant when he wrote, the true judge will remove from them all the good things of this world, which encourages encourage them to rebel. Some people, when they see that the bottom has dropped out of their world and they despair of ever experiencing the good life for which they yearn, may come to see the vanity of the aims of the Yetzir Hurrah. They may even come to inward repentance. This may also happen on the moral plane. There may be another meaning behind the verses which he, this essay, which had this essay. There you will worship gods made by human hands. And from there you will seek God, your God. When you realize the depths of degradation which you have reached, this may be the strongest uh, impetus for you to return in all sincerity to God. As the Talmud puts it, when the plague covers all the body, the person is pure. When the generation is wholly guilty, then redemption comes. Learning before suffering comes. Our rabbis teach us to be sensitive to everything that befalls us in everyday life. God is continually giving us hints, and it is up to us to take the hints. If a person goes out to the market where there are squabbles and shouting, he should consider it as if he had been summoned to court for judgment. If he has a headache, he should consider it as if he was being hauled off, to, hauled off in chains. If he is unwell and has to take to his bed, he should consider it as if he was being judged on a life and death charge. If he really was in such a predicament, only great lawyers could get him acquitted. What are the great lawyers? Repentance and good deeds. Even if there are 999 accusers and only one in his defense, he will be saved. Even if that one angel in his defense, there are 999 points of guilt and only one point in his favor, he will be saved. 
this seems strange. The Talmud begins by saying that he needs great lawyers to acquit him. How then can it go on to say that even a thousandth, thousandth part of merit will suffice to save him? The meaning is this. When they say that if a person has a headache or is confined to bed, he should consider it as if he were facing the, sc the scaffold. They mean that a person should be very sensitive to everything that happens to him. If something occurs that may seem to hold only remote chance of danger, he should take it as a hint from Hashem that his spiritual life is in danger. If he takes the hint now and sets about finding what is wrong and rectifying it, even a small merit will serve to save him from a great danger. However, if he waits until the danger is already a reality, he may need to take much more drastic measures to save himself. Advantages of early learning. We have learned that suffering is sent to serve an end, that a person should mend himself and mend his ways. It is clear that this cause is best served by early learning. If a person waits until the troubles are already upon him, he is less likely to learn from them. The Yetzirah may persuade him to harbor resentment against Hashem for sending him these troubles, and he will be in no mood to draw the right conclusions. In a state of suffering, too, it is extremely difficult to concentrate. The time to learn and the time to rectify one's faults is when the danger is only a possibility. There is another advantage. If the person does teshuva when the troubles are already upon him, his teshuva, though it may be real, is of a lesser quality. The impetus for his teshuva, in a sense, came from outside himself, from the suffering sent him by Hashem. If a person repents at the stage when the suffering is only a possibility, the impetus for the repentance comes from himself, his own being. His repentance is of a higher quality because he rectifies his evil choice at its source. The impetus to sin came from himself, and his repentance likewise comes from the depths of his being. If a person does not arouse himself to teshuva and repents only when sufferings have broken him mentally and physically and virtually crushed his yetzirah, only a small part of his teshuva can be attributed to his own behira. Hashem's providence has provided the lion's share. Mashiach without Teshuvah. Earlier in this volume, we discussed the argument of Rabbi Eliezer and Rabbi Yehoshua about the redemption of Israel. Rabbi Eliezer maintained that there could be no final redemption without Teshuvah, while Rabbi Yehoshua insisted that Teshuvah was not necessary. Yet eventually, Rabbi Yehoshua conceded that Israel will do Teshuvah because of the decrees of a king as bad as Haman. It is clear that they were arguing about the value of suffering induced teshuva. When the time for final redemption arrives, that Gemara seems to imply that Israel will be within hair's breadth of moral degradation. But this will not be allowed to occur, as explained in the first part of this essay. Before this can happen, God forbid, God will begin to show 
the light of Mashiach before his actual coming. The hand of God will be revealed in the stirring events of that time. Those are the people of Israel who are still attached to their heritage, even by a hair's breadth, will acknowledge the clear evidence of God, God's intervention in history. Masses of people will do Teshuvah and go forward to meet Mashiach. It is true that a Teshuvah of this sort contains a large contribution from above and a minimal contribution from below. But at this critical juncture in world history, Hashem will accept our repentance and usher in the Messianic era. Well, we are definitely see this happen. We're seeing this happen. So many people are continuing to make Teshuvah. People you don't even expect. People who have no idea what Judaism is. What they're about to learn. <laughs> yep. I mean, what it is to be identified with, it, with Israel. <laughs> yeah, there's rumination. That's what it's all about. Um, all right. Well, would you close this out with the bracha? Oh, and I will follow up with the bracha for Torah. I thank you, Hashem, my God, that you have established my portion with those who dwell in the study hall. And you have not established my portion with idlers. For I rise early and they arise early. I rise early for words of Torah and they rise early for idle words. I toil and they toil. I toil and receive reward. And they toil and do not receive reward. I run and they run. I run to the life of the world to come, and they run to the pit of destruction, as it is written, and you, O oh God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days, but as for me, I will trust in you. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, Asher Natan Banu Torat Emet, Vechaye olam natam betochenu. Baruch ata Adonai notain ha Torah. Amen.